The views and opinions expressed on Red Planet are those of the individual and do not necessarily reflect those of Red Planet nor any affiliated or related entities. This podcast is provided for educational purposes only. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Red Planet. My name is Kira, and I am very excited to bring you today's episode, How to Occupy a University, featuring first-year student Fraser McGuire. Fraser has been a hugely active part of the students' rent strike at the University of Manchester, and even made international news when he was literally dragged out by paramilitary-style bailiffs called in by the university. We also discussed Tim's participation in a protest against Posey Parker, and a Nebraska Democrat refusing to allow anti-trans bills to be passed. But first, our incredibly awkward attempt at a cold open. So what do you think Sophie's bat single would be? I mean, like, are we? how do we feel about the jeans with the handkerchief sticking out of the pockets? How do we feel about that one? Yeah, I mean, I think that's obvious. The, the real question would be which pocket and which handkerchief? It's already very intricate. But then signal. also, like, when it's, like, you know how it's, like, a yellowy spotlight projected mm-hmm. at the sky? I guess that means that it's always going to be a yellow handkerchief. So True. it's, like, oh. yeah, yeah, yeah. So then the then the real question is, like, left pocket, right pocket, you know? Um, I still figured out the code, by the way. I'm, so is, fr- I'm too yeah, afraid yeah. to Google it to be this a figure out It could be both, both, both pockets, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why not? This is why we yeah, need yeah. to. Uh, we need. We need her here. This is what. What we need. This is. The These paradox. are big questions. Yeah, yeah. The, the I don't paradox know. Is we need the bat signal to 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 call her, but she's not here. So we don't <laughs> yeah, know yeah. Bat so we don't know which bat signal to use. I was thinking that maybe the bat signal was. I was signals. thinking that maybe Sophie's bat signal was was signaled, and that's why she's un- <laughs> unable to make it because she's out. <laughs> Sophie. Is that how a bat signal works? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you shine the bat. Actually, I don't even know. Oh my god! <laughs> Didn't like, Batman also are, have like are nerds in this way? It was like not, a, not a single phone. one of us. That's right. Didn't, like Batman also had that red phone that was like this is like you know like calling people whatever like that. Like why did he like? I mean, I guess like sometimes you want to call Batman, but you don't want the whole city to know you're calling Batman. <laughs> I guess that's probably it. That's, right. that's like the late, really the late night. Like... Some Batman fan out there that's like yeah, curious yeah, yeah. That, that we're just no. completely <laughs> misremembering <laughs> Batman completely. Sorry, Mildred. I'm sure that's Mildred. Yeah, actually. sorry, Mildred. <laughs> <laughs> He's gonna hate us. Hey, it's Red Planet. Oh my god! Wow. Oh my show. god. That was an extremely hanky. cold open. Just want to make yeah. everyone mm. aware. This is called the cold open. This is yeah. a frigid open. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um welcome everybody it is that time of the week and uh let's open things up to the first part Ooh. of the podcast of the show it's yeah <laughs> what is yes. what is the most base thing you did this week well um so we'll get we'll get back into this in the news in a minute but most people are probably aware if you're on twitter or anything like that you saw um old mate um i can't even remember her full name but posy parker um the british turf the um the you know she's kind of like i would say like one of the figureheads of that movement one of the biggest public kelly um, j keen faces. minchel is yeah. yeah kelly j keen minchel yeah. um she's yeah one of the 
you know, what are the biggest probably like personalities of turfdom that isn't just like an anonymous internet face? Um, started she started a down under tour. She started with Australia, and each event kind of progressively got more. I would say um, more opposed to her presence. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was like I think it was the Melbourne one that kicked it off first, where a bunch of like open Nazis just showed up to support her and were kind of like standing with her behind the barriers, everything what? like that. And Why then, were um, Nazis there? Yeah, oh, weird. Oh God, who knows? Yeah, that wasn't yeah. a fluke. And they were like very obvious, like they were with them behind the barriers they the members were like hanging out with each other they were giving each other high fives and hugs and shaking hands and all this kind of stuff and then afterwards they were kind of like oh no they showed up with the you know with the trans rights activists and all this you know just kind of just dumb shit but it at the time they were very they were very glad to have a bunch of you know like young dudes there to kind of like leverage their physicality right you mm. know mm-hmm. regardless of like anything else like you know it's like yeah of course they they have they have views in common they you know like they have common tactics everything like that but they also I think it's like a lot of this group kind of for all their talk about like you know male violence or whatever like that they absolutely like fucking loved to have Mm -hmm. some violent males Mm -hmm. with them you know Mm -hmm. um and so so they left uh, so they, um, yeah, they got chased out of Melbourne. They went down to Hobart and had like Hobart's um, in Tasmania. It's a small island, but it seems like literally everyone on the island <laughs> showed up to um, to chase them out of there too. And it was, um, yeah, her talk went on for like a couple minutes and she got chased out. And she was saying that Hobart was the worst place that she had ever been. Um, and, and, uh-huh you know, true kind of like trans-Tasman rivalry, <laughs> rivalry way. New Zealand said, um, the worst place you have been so far. So I missed the actual like, like, cause she, she got chased out so quick that I actually missed her being, you know, speaking and everything like that. It was like, everything was all like over in like 20 minutes or so so I actually missed that but then there was a bunch of stuff that kind of came afterwards which I'll um I'll get into when we kind of cover the thing in the news or whatever but um yeah what about um Mule you've been up to some some hijinks as well Uh, why don't you tell us about that yeah, so many hijinks. Um, so yeah, fucking hell. I mean, pick pick your choice. I feel like I've done the Red Planet gauntlet this week in activism, which is a little wild. Um, so Tuesday, I went down with the union to Westminster to, to support a, a non-reformist reform. So GMTU are part of a coalition of uh, organizations that, that, that stand for housing rights in the UK. And uh, we've been lobbying the government along with this uh, cohort of organizations to uh, abolish Section 21. And if you don't know what a a Section 21 eviction is, it's a no-fault eviction. So basically the landlord turns around, uh, you know, serves you an order approved by the the council, the county court, and they say, right, you're out in about a month um, for no reason. I'm just doing it for whatever. And this sort of results in landlords just doing this to put up their rent um, because they know that their current tenant is not going to stand for it or whatever. So they're just going to evict them, make them homeless, um it's really really fucked up shit um it's surprising that the tories are actually talking about abolishing section 21 they're more progressive than labor 
in their housing policy at the minute. <laughs> Why? Is, well, Why yeah, well, they... there has to be some horrible reason for it, right? Well, they here's, accidentally... here's the thing. They stood on it in their election manifesto they said we will abolish section 21 um that's why they're sort of still entertaining it i am not particularly convinced that they're gonna do the things that we want them to do they may abolish section 21 but they may dress it up in a different way uh you know we actually spoke to the to the to the actual housing minister uh in westminster on on uh tuesday uh and you know she was just doing a bunch of tory politics talk so anyway whether that when whether anything comes of that we'll see she did say on record that section 21 was going to be abolished before autumn so mm. i don't know we'll see is it something crossed. that like do you think section one is like disproportionately used against like elderly people or something and they're trying to use it to like court the kind of vote of i think you or? know what i think that's a pretty good observation tim because you know the it's it's a it's a a non-discriminatory uh 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 section 21 uh, like piece of legislation that does discriminate don't get me wrong but it can affect everybody um so and i think that they are terrified actually of you know um stories coming out like for example with the renters union we tried to do an eviction resistance for uh you know an old white guy once and it's like oh of course well you know i mean they're not going to want to hear like military veterans getting you know yeah yeah yeah, exactly and And also if it's like their voter base or whatever like that if they're relying on like you know like a whole bunch of votes from like older people and these older people like oh they know their mate down the street got section 21 or whatever like that you know it's like yeah it's it's definitely going to be a electorate decision this is how these guys operate and in fact this kind of leads into the next bit uh, of activism that i did this week which is basically legitimate from from the ground up community organizing so some of the staff organizers at gmtu um were able to um basically start a new branch in a place in manchester called harper hay harper hay most of the residents there call it a dumping ground quote unquote um because it's where a lot of people get housed who you know other communities do not want them so we're talking you know well other communities do not want them in quotes this is what the housing services say this is what the you know the people who you know rehouse people say uh, but it's just because they're people who've been in prison they're migrants they are you know potentially grt people you know what i mean like the, the it's it's it isn't that like other communities don't want them it's just that they have then an excuse to put uh marginalized people all in the same area um and you know we have set up a ca- cafe there, which is really cool. And Dan, who we had on Red Planet, who does a lot of food empowerment stuff, he a- actually managed to get hold of some um, veg that Marks and Spencers were throwing out. So he didn't even have to break BDS, for those of you who know about Marks and Spencers and their relation to Israel, uh, in order mm. to get this food from, from Marks and Spencers. So we had this really posh veg like leeks uh, and, and sweet potatoes and all that. And we made like a, a nice dinner for these people in Harper Hay. Um, and then we spoke with them about power mapping and power mapping is basically where you say to people like, okay, where do you think the power is in your community? Um, and, and do you think these people are on your side? Sort of telling them what they need to do, but letting them come to their own conclusions. So, you know, they were saying like, oh, well, you know, the people in power around here, are, are, are the labor MP and the labor councillors, but they don't do anything for people here. And one thing that I do just want to 
point out because as you said tim um the reason that the tories might want to abolish section 21 is because it's an, an electorate analysis so like politicians in westminster they look at things in terms of election results right so when everybody voted against Corbyn, uh, well, they didn't vote against Corbyn, but like, you know, a lot of people did vote against Labour in the 2019 election, but they voted because of his Brexit deal. That's that's widely what's accepted uh, his Brexit stance, but his Brexit stance was actually pro-Brexit, which is interesting. But anyway, that's by the by. I'm sure people know about this. But Keir Starmer seems to think that they voted against Labour because they're all bigots and they hate migrants and they hate protesters and they hate all, you know, all this base stuff. But when I spoke to some of the people in this Labour stronghold, this Labour Council ward, they said, well, we actually voted for UKIP, but it wasn't because we're racist. It's because we wanted to give Labour a kick up the arse to actually do something in our town. They're not addressing the material conditions of the people Mm -hmm. on the fucking ground. They live in shit. They have nothing. Do you know what I mean? Nobody listens to them, not even the Labour councillors. Um... So that was a very interesting analysis point, which was like, yeah, it's quite obvious that these people aren't bigots. They're just, you know, uh, they're not having their needs met, basically. And and, and the people who are in power are labor. Is there um, similar to Trump's um, coming to power? Like, don't yes! get me wrong. Don't yes! get me wrong. I'm not about to say that <laughs> there was some bigotry going on there. Many people vote oh. for Trump because of their because of bigotry. Yeah. But he really capitalized on. how the democrats completely let down the working class um and and was just like we need to drain the swamp like like, a lot of what he said had like kernels of truth to it um and also exploited people's fucking very very understandable reasonable frustrations with the democratic party um that's literally it it's exactly the same it's exactly yeah it's like the same everywhere we see it with like a lot of like yeah like right-wing populists or whatever where it's Mm -hmm. like they are scratching at people's legitimate anxieties encouraging their worst bigotries but just because you know it's like in their absence of class analysis they're kind of like encouraging the bad shit you know right so instead Mm -hmm. of being like oh you know it's like it's you know like it's the greater economic system and you know the capitalists the people at the top whatever like that it's like they reduce it to like oh yeah it's the deep state or it's the you know fucking you know like yeah. the international jury or whatever they want to <laughs> say you know like and it's like and it's yeah yeah it's it's the same story all over the world yeah it's like fucking wild right like, yeah and mm. yeah and then the final thing that i did this week was um i went to Enough, bully, mule. i went to bully some fascists yesterday who turned up uh. to, to be transphobic and shit so yeah we manchester's anti-fascist uh, uh you know uh, anti-fascists basically bullied them into a corner made a bunch of noise all day uh and that was really really based so yeah that's the final that thing is very base very cool that i did this week very, um, very sorry cool. for my sorry for my tone i just i would like to tell everyone <laughs> After after those two displays from Tim and Mule, let me tell you what I did this week, uh, um, everyone. Uh, I've been doing yoga every morning and Thanks. trying to set an intention for my day. And my intention that I've been trying to set is that I intend to be happy. And it doesn't mean that if I'm unhappy, it's a failure, but I'm trying to actually go pursue things that will bring me joy and avoid things that I know will not bring me joy. And I'm so, yeah, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to actually like in, in have this intention. Um, also, you know what? Thanks to my community, I have been hydrating more. 
So yeah. that's base to drink water. Extremely base. <laughs> Especially if you're a little it's bit no acidic Antifa. and then you bring down the, you know, the, the it's pH. It's not bullying fascists, but you, yeah, it's not, it's not bullying fascists, but um, yeah, I, I've been, I've been kind of like in this, like, uh, I've been kind of in this place where uh, I've been doing a lot of trying to, a lot of self-care, but like trying to rescue myself in a way. And um, I don't want to go too far though, because sometimes you can just end up cutting yourself off from the world because it does feel good to like not engage with a lot of the world, you know. But um, I think that a healthy uh reestablishment of your own personal like health and and uh happiness, or uh, not even a reestablishing, establishing any of that. You know, some of us have, feel like I don't know if I've ever truly been quote unquote happy. Um, that's a whole conversation we can have someday, but I'm trying to at least have the intention to try to pursue that. So that is what I've been doing. I think that is extremely based. Well, thank you. Yeah. I think that counts for a lot because you got to be a happy and healthy comrade, right? Whatever that means for you. Like, yeah, I think that's extremely important and it means the world. There's Uh, no bullying, uh, uh transphobes yeah but, but you um, bully them in your twitch chat every day so i do that's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. That's, i do that's still very thank base. you yeah mm-hmm. um so we've got a fair bit of news to go through as per usual i'll just pick up where i left off earlier for the um the based thing i did this week with the yeah. posey parker thing so um i'll start with this and then we'll get into the mm-hmm. other you know international news and stuff but um no yeah it was great so um so I got there after the main thing had happened, but basically what happened was the, so even the night before a bunch of people had gone to the park and just covered it in chalk messages and drawings and stuff, like all kinds of like trans rights messages, all kinds of, you know, like the, you know, like the flag, everything was like everywhere and stuff. And then um, people just started getting there really early. Like she wasn't supposed to get there till like 11 o'clock, but there was like, yeah, hundreds and hundreds of people there even before like 10 o'clock they reckon that like the it, it is kind of annoying because the the news uh papers and everything like that they reported as like a couple hundred protesters or whatever but there was like since then from all the photos and videos and stuff they actually reckon that there was like somewhere between two to three thousand people <gasps> showed up um which is like huge you know um yeah holy and so yeah, people got there. There had been the security company had set up barriers, but the security company that she hired was really, really bad um, and really unprofessional. A friend of mine is a security. He like he runs a security business. He has for years, and um, and he's really good, super professional. He kind of like hires a lot of people that are like, like they're all people from um, you know, like a similar background and like fighting sports and all this kind of stuff like that. So they're very like you know, like they know what's up, and um he actually he actually emailed her ahead of uh, ahead of the event and asked if she wanted free security because he's got a bunch of trans security guards and he was like let's just show up and it's just like you know that's like funny trans <laughs> oh my squad. god but um she said that it was already it was already sorted and um so then we got there and I think it probably was just like whoever was cheapest or whoever else would like accept the contract because beforehand um the the group that had her contract for the Wellington event dropped out when they found out who she was. And um, she was trying to raise money to hire a new one. 
So, um, yeah, so whoever they were, they were just, yeah, really, really bad. Um, super kind of like, like they just didn't know anything about like managing a crowd or anything like that. And no, I think it was just way beyond their expectations, probably way beyond Posey's expectations as well. But mm. um, like a good security company at an event like this isn't kind of like, uh, it's not, so they're not supposed to be like a hired kind of a soldier of the person that is, you know, hiring them. They're supposed to be there to kind of maintain the security and everything like that. But um, yeah, these people didn't really seem like they knew what they were doing either way, you know, like I think it was just like a bunch of people that got together to kind of, you know, like maybe they just do small time gigs here or there or whatever. Uh, anyway, uh, that's neither here nor there, but they, so they had set up barriers, but they were like really terrible and just like the whole layout like they're supposed to have like a security plan of like, okay, this is where the event is going to be. Um, we've, you know, cordoned off this area. If there needs to be an exit, we'll go through here, whatever like that. There just was like none of that. So it ended up being, um, she got in, in her car, the crowd was already like, like the park was already just full of people protesting her, like, you know, singing songs, like, you know, making a lot of noise and stuff. And she kind of mm -hmm. got like, pushed through this crowd like just like squeezed through into the rotunda where um she was met by a handful of supporters who had it like i mean the security company didn't even check with the supporters that they were actually supporters which is a little surprise tool that will help us later but um <laughs> yeah. so, <laughs> so kind of similar she, um, to the security firm infiltration that your friend tried to do yeah yeah, like, yeah exactly that's like, so just, I, I think that's so no clever by the way all. yeah <laughs> so, no um, at all. <laughs> so they got her up and um she saw one of the organize one of the people that had been organizing um like one of the locals that had been organizing for her was there and she went up and gave her a big hug and then um and the people's champion um Ileana Rubishkin I think who has come out since and has like been very you know public and vocal about like who she is and what she did and stuff she um so she had entered the rotunda with all the turfs and they had asked her you know like oh you know what are you doing and she's like oh I'm here to show support whatever so they let her in um and yeah so when Posey came up to hug this other turf um Eliana stepped out from behind uh their big sign saying something I don't know some bullshit about women's rights or whatever like that and dumped like an entire big thing of pasta sauce all over Posey's head <laughs> and the bread that was with her and um, pizza pasta fully... it on Posey <laughs> yeah 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 I yeah, yeah. love that shit just fully um yeah <laughs> She pasted Posey, and um, so which is where all the memes coming from, like pasta Posey, Posada Posey, uh, Posey Posada, yeah, just all this kind of stuff. Um, and the crowd just went wild. Um, yeah, so totally dunked. Um, the security kind of like pushed her away, copped a little bit of sauce themselves. Um, <laughs> I love it when they <laughs> cop a bit of sauce. I think like that, that's one of my. This is one of my like most joyous moments is seeing like some of the most hateful people in the world 
just covered in some kind of messy food. I know, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, 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 it's like that ancient, like, uh, evangelical who was like big in the seventies about the like the 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 you know anti queer groomer stuff, and and she got like pied in the face, and yeah, then yeah, like, yeah. and yeah, then Andy Mio with the milkshake and uh, posy. There's that guy in Australia that got eggs. Um, yeah, yeah. As well. yeah, yeah, the egg guy, and didn't he like slap the kid who did it? Just, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I think, oh no, response. it was like one of um, one of his guys, like instantly just like started like choking this kid but um there's yeah, something there is, like, like embedded in our genes like evolutionarily that makes it like so food on bad person oh, yeah, is yeah. equals <laughs> equals fun like there's yeah, a, I, think, so, like, I don't know what is that yeah yeah like, humiliation that's what it is transcends yeah, yeah, all it's cultures <laughs> and like with a lot of fascists and stuff they're not gonna like they don't care about arguing the points they know that they're oh. hypocrites and all this kind of stuff but what they hate is being like embarrassed you yeah. know like that's yeah. like one of the most powerful things like that's that's what yeah. shuts them up right being embarrassed right. yeah one of so the things um, we were um shouting at the at the um the fash yesterday um was like no one can hear you do you know what i mean like literally yeah, yeah. no one can hear you and then this like really it was actually quite sinister sounding i'm not gonna lie like as soon as they started talking on the mics everyone just kind of started going boo <laughs> like, like, really really loud and it was like yeah. so good like you know just like yeah, yeah. that yeah. shit works yeah so anyway so um uh carrying on from that so she got chased out well she actually she had to get escorted out by police they put her in the back of a cop car um and all the turfs kind of um there was the local kind of christo fascist uh church destiny church were having a rally down the street um coincidentally i think but like you know whatever um so all the turfs kind of ran down there and we're like trying to kind of like you know seek again seek the um seek shelter with you know like people that are fucking mm-hmm. just really really terrible and um so everyone just kind of followed them down and cleared them out from down there as well um and yeah and then uh so that that night she was seen at the international at Auckland International Airport um jumping on a plane leaving the country so um yeah she got she had to cancel her wellington event the next day when the wellington event was supposed to happen everyone just turned out in the streets and it just became a giant like street party Um, one single turf showed up i think who was um (laughs) escorted out so she everyone was having a great time and she was like trying to get in people's faces and stuff like that and security were like doing the well you know like just like the volunteer wardens were doing their best to be like this woman is getting herself in trouble like maybe she wants to get beaten up because Mm -hmm. you know whatever so they were trying to keep her out of trouble and then um yeah they escorted her out with um a bell like a shame bell while the whole crowd chanted shame isn't that kind of like a game of thrones thing yeah yeah it is yeah okay so um yeah so she did to do the shame that's really funny and um yeah but um yeah we in the interest of, of of moving along we should um we should keep going uh, so yeah. kira more good news why don't you tell us about the good news yeah, yeah, yeah so uh a bunch of lawyers have now vowed i believe lawyers in england uh vowed to not prosecute climate activists so more than 120 lawyers have vowed to not act on, act against activists from groups such as Extinction Rebellion and Just Hop Oil, who are exercising their democratic right of peaceful protest, which, you know, the the wording 
not the biggest fan of the wording. <laughs> However, um, the fact that these demonstrators are getting arrested for actual peaceful protest, um, it's really cool that these lawyers are vowing to not prosecute them. Uh, they published a declaration of conscience and they face the prospect of disciplinary action. So um, they definitely keep my eye, keep, we're gonna definitely keep our eye on this to see how this progresses, but it's a really cool uh, collective showing. And I hope more lawyers join in to um, to participate. So uh, Barrister Paul Polisland, who signed a declaration, said, quote, we're refusing to advise fossil fuel companies on how to dig for new oil and gas the same way we wouldn't advise a killer how to commit serial murders, which is pretty, pretty scathing cool. mm -hmm. criticism of fossil fuel companies and pretty accurate, you know. Um, so there's a lot of yeah, so they now face the prospect of disciplinary action for breaching professional regulations, such as the so-called cab rank rule, which I've never heard of before, which requires lawyers to take on any case within their competence. So really interested to see how this how this progresses. Um, yeah, yeah, because that's supposed to be a thing to stop. You know, like it's supposed to, that's supposed, like the idea is that it ensures um, like that people have, can get like, legal help legal protection and stuff even mm -hmm. if they're you know like they're not a great mm -hmm. you know like even if they if they don't look like they'd be like a great client or maybe they mm -hmm. don't have like enough money or whatever like that the camera rule is kind of just like oh no like you know it's your duty to kind of you know to um to take on the case and do it anyway mm -hmm. um which is you know like kind of like funny where it's like a rule meant to help kind of you know poor disenfranchised people or even people that are like you know have criminal histories and aren't the most appealing or whatever like that but then it's being used in this case to be like well you know like who will represent the petrochemical billionaires just fyi the the declaration has been organized by this group called plan b um and so apparently some of the lawyers have already self-reported so I don't know. Yeah. We'll we'll see what happens with that. Uh, but in a statement, uh, Plan B, or, or in the statement, yeah, the charity said this is understood to be the first time in legal history that barristers have engaged in a collective act of civil disobedience. Um, Tim Crosland, the director of Plan B, called for an end to the new fossil fuel development, saying behind every new oil and gas deal sits a lawyer getting rich while ordinary people of this country take a stand. So pretty mm. pretty solid analysis uh pretty solid yeah. from a bunch of bunch of lawyers bunch of fucking <laughs> lawyers bunch um... of lawyers but yeah <laughs> it's it's very very cool and uh we'll we'll see like i said we'll keep an eye on this situation yeah uh shall i go ahead with uh this yeah stuff, uh, Yo, could, could you tell us what's going on with keir starmer oh my pleasure um our so... sweet boy yeah, our sweet boy. Uh, he's, fan of the show. He's, uh, he's a good friend of the show. <laughs> Starmer um, uh, has been advised that he will lose his election campaign on day one unless he shifts his trans rights position. Um, this is, again, something that I think we've commented on on Red Planet, which is that uh, Labour, having had like extremely progressive policies uh, in the 2019 election where Jeremy Corbyn was leader, he literally did a uh, campaign video where he said, 
Hello everyone, my name is Jeremy Corbyn. Uh, my pronouns are he, him, you know what I mean? Like you couldn't imagine Keir Starmer doing that in a million fucking years. Oh, sweetie. He was, he is a sweetie. He remains to be a sweetie despite, um, you know, uh, yeah. having to run as, having to be an independent MP. Um, I, and in fact, one of the only MPs who was there on Tuesday to speak to his constituents about housing rights. My MP was not there in Westminster and lots of other people's weren't, but Jeremy Corbyn was one of the only ones there. Anyway about this story. So uh, the Labour leader has recently changed his position after he said Scotland should not have made changes to its transgender laws. But two years ago, he said that uh, Labour would introduce self-declaration for trans people. Uh, Sir Keir Starmer will lose the general election campaign on day one unless he shifts his position on transgender rights, party strategists have warned. Advisors have been telling the Labour leader since 2021 to quote-unquote deal with the issue and explain to voters that self-ID is not going to happen. Uh, Sir Keir's position has evolved in, in recent days. An event in Stoke-on-Trent on Thursday, he said, I, th I think that if we reflect on what's happened in Scotland, the lesson uh, I take from that is that if you're going to make reforms, you have to carry the public with you, which is a lot of fucking nonsense, isn't it? It just doesn't mean anything. Um, uh, and I think that's a very important message, and I think that's why it's clear in Scotland this should be a reset of the situation. Uh, just complete clownery from uh, Keir Starmer. It's so, like a Pete Buttigieg line, by the way. It's yeah, just like, what do you what did you actually say? Yeah, yeah, literally. Yeah, politician nonsense. It, it's it's politics speak, isn't it? It's just nonsense to make people think that you know you have a position and you're going to do something or whatever. You know what I mean? It's it's just absolutely absurd nonsense. Like you know, people are going to react to that in the way that these um, you know strategists are telling him which is they're not going to vote for labor in fact you know uh, uh they'll vote for for uh, maybe even the tories you know what i mean like depending on what their uh position on it is uh which i doubt is going to be good uh but will it be hard to make it better than labor will they change it uh, through fears that they may lose to labor closer to the time of the election who knows um <clears throat> anyway what is the election uh, it's in 2024, so May 2024, I think. Uh, so yeah, he's got he's got a year. He's got a year and a couple of months to uh, to sort his act out. Anyway, uh, just wrapping up this news story. Um, yeah, it, it, this is obviously like you know something he's saying now in contrast to last uh, a couple of years ago when uh, you know he said he was going to introduce self declaration for trans people. A senior Labour source has told Sky News they fear the Conservatives will weaponize the issue at the at the general election. Ab absolutely, they will. Um, the source suggested that Sir Keir's reluctance to explain his position may be due to a concern that he will upset younger Labour members. Well, I have a message for you, Keir. You've already upset them. <laughs> <laughs> like this is this is something that's already happened um on thursday the labor for trans rights group released an email template for supporters to send their local mp voicing their concerns about sir Keir's latest comments which they say is signaling his intention to not support gender recognition act reforms it calls on him to commit to reforming the gra to stand by his previous commitments to lgbtq plus people and to stand on the right side of history trans rights are not a political football the letter adds so yeah that's that uh yeah. for keir starmer and uh we've not actually assigned this next news story to anyone but do you want to do it tim yeah 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 so nebraska dim with trans son vows to block all bills 
no one in the world holds a grudge like me she says <laughs> so this is um yeah nebraska uh, democratic state senator uh, megan hunt so uh this happened the other week she vowed to filibuster every single bill for the rest of the legisl- legislative session after the nebraska legislature legislature advanced a bill that would ban gender affirming care for people under 19 so um so filibustering is basically when they just talk and like just talk and they just go on because there's like rules for how long they can kind of like debate each you know each bill as it comes up and um you know and like you know debate and vote and all this kind of stuff like that and um yeah it's kind of like a way for people to kind of um I guess like dominate the session and prevent other people from you know being able to say and do things Mm -hmm. and vote and all that kind of stuff Mm because they can just like fully take up the entire time and it's been used a couple times really effectively um uh old Mike Gravel did it way back in the day didn't he um there's like a bunch of stuff where it's like you know like if you do and say certain things, you're basically allowed to, to just keep going. Um, there are little kind of rules that they have to do. They're not allowed to say or do certain things, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe they can do like whatever, also, like for the most part, though. Yeah. Like I think they can even like read the yeah, phone yeah. book, you know, stuff like that. Um, There's, there is stuff like it's like anything they um, read becomes part of like the public record as well. So um, uh, people have used it to do um certain things like yeah actually it was mike gravel that used it to um he read out a bunch the names of a bunch of donors and stuff like that like people that were like you know that wanted to keep their shit secret and he it, mm. by doing that he um exposed it to the public records so that everyone was like oh okay these are the these are the pieces of shit um so yeah pretty 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 sneaky little thing that people can do um so this legislation that's coming up sponsored by republican state senator kathleen Kalth would ban minors from seeking gender confirmation surgery and hormone treatments, issues that could impact Hunt's transgender son. So Hunt is, Megan Hunt's the one that's doing the filibustering. Uh, She discussed her son and his testimony in committee on Wednesday and to the wider body the next day. My son is trans, Hunt said of her 12-year-old child, who she says has been unable to attain gender-affirming care. And this bill colleagues is such an affront to me personally and would violate my rights to parent my child in Nebraska which is like a big point for them because I mean not that like you know Republicans care about being consistent but a lot of their stuff is about like you can't tell me how to raise my child and all that kind of stuff so you know she's saying like this is my right to raise my child you know in the way that I feel best um so yeah um and also, yeah, maybe uh, just content warning. There is some kind of rough stuff here. So, you know, you might want to just chill out and come back in five minutes if you don't want to hear about some kind of um, some pretty heavy stuff. But, um, yeah, so the bill is one of many anti-trans policies rolled out this year, according to Trans Legislation Tracker. We've made it clear that this is a line in the sand, Hunt said to lawmakers on Thursday. Hunt was scolded over her stance by Republicans who said her pushback set a bad precedent you really don't get it, Hunt said to Republican State Senator R. Brad Von Gillen. You've crossed the line and you've gone too far. Don't say hi to me in the hall. Don't ask me how my weekend was. Don't walk by my desk and ask me anything. Don't send me Christmas cards. Take me off the list. Hunt warned, no one in the world holds a grudge like me and no one in the world cares less about being petty than me. I don't care. I don't like you. 
Hunt joins Democratic States uh, Senator Michaela Kavanaugh and her promise to filibuster the remainder of the legislature's 90-day session, which ends on June 9th. I will burn the session to the ground over this bill, Kavanaugh warned. I will not give up on Nebraska children, she tweeted. Failure isn't an option because if I fail, I'm failing children and I'm not going to fail children. On Wednesday, Day cried in the chamber while reading a letter from a psychologist who said the bill will result in the deaths of transgender and gender diverse adolescents, likely before the end of the school year. Korth, who has another, another bill that would ban trans people from using bathrooms and locker rooms or playing on sports teams that don't align with the sex listed on their birth certificates, accused her Democratic opponents of using obnoxious hyperbole and said that they were being self-serving and childish with the filibuster. Which is, like, so fucking, like, disgusting because it's like, oh, you're being self-serving and childish? Like, they're literally doing something that is, like, one of, like within the institution of the Senate, this is one of the more kind of, like, powerful things that they can do. And they're doing it, like, you know, in order to save the lives of children. And it kind of shows you how, like, people like Korth and other you know, shitheads, Republicans, whatever, um, they don't they don't see trans people as being like actual people as part of their community or whatever mm-hmm. like that. It's like it is just like a political football to them, you know? Mm-hmm, like it's mm-hmm. a cultural war, war thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um yeah, pretty, pretty fucking disgusting from them. Um yeah, and like the idea that it's like you're being like, you know, you're being unprofessional or something like that, where it's just like what's you know, like, what is the job at the end of the day? You know, you want to protect your, you want to protect people. Like, they want to protect Nebraska children. And this is what does that, you know? It's, um, yeah, it's, it's fucking wild. Like, yeah, it's like, it's this or it's fucking, you know, or it's, you know, like, not that I want to promote um, any particular activities, but it's lit- like, I think history has shown us if, if it doesn't end here, then it, you know, it ends in like, car mm-hmm. bombs and shit like that so you know um like they are very lucky that it is like fucking you know they're lucky that it's filibusters like they're lucky that they they're like this is the choice where they you know that things can be solved right um but yeah anyway um let's let's move on to some good news um uh kira why don't you tell yeah. us about what's going on in the amazon Sure. And uh, I just to say that was really good coverage of that story. Um, well so, done, Tim. Well done, Tim. You killed it. So Lula is ending uh, illegal gold mines in the Amazon, which is pretty cool. Lula with yeah. another Lula being based yet again. Brazil has ousted almost all illegal gold miners from the Yanomami territory, its largest indigenous reservation, and will remove miners from six more reserves this year. Um and so the Humberto Freire is the director of the newly created Environment and Amazon Department of the Federal Police, marking what he called a new era in the battle against environmental crime and in defense of indigenous people in the rainforest. Um, what I think is really interesting about this is that the police are not focusing on arresting minors. Um, instead, they're seizing or blocking um, 
the like 68 million reyes. I don't know how to pronounce the currency of Brazil. They're equivalent. Yeah. yeah, it's equivalent to about $13 million. Um, they're seizing and blocking this this amount of money uh, of, of resources belonging to those accused of financing the illegal miners while dismantling a prostitution network that took underage girls to the mining camps. Um, I don't know, like police bad, but also if if the means to which their uh, Lula is going about this, I think is a, it's really it's 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 not like just arresting like the lowest level people, which typically is what happens. Um, it's going after like the people at the very top. Um, but it's also it's like he is like you know like he is a state official and he's like you know operating in that capacity as opposed to you know like the capacity that an activist group might you know like act in or whatever like that. So it's like yeah, police police bad, but like Lula is doing yeah. his thing in his capacity, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so the territory has been invaded invaded by thousands of gold miners threatening communities with firearms, uh, driving deforestation, spreading malaria, polluting rivers, scaring off wild animals. And this has all led to malnutrition and hundreds of deaths. Uh, so very, very bad. That's what it is. It's very, very bad. <laughs> um, the Brazilian government is also studying new laws to stamp out illegal gold mining, which accounts for roughly half of Brazilian gold the country exports to nations, including Switzerland and Britain, which I did not know. Uh, Bolsonaro, our boy, friend of the show, Bolsonaro. The, <laughs> the avatar me. of disease and decay. <laughs> the world record holder of number of times you can get COVID and still, and still somehow or just exist. Uh, Bolsonaro, who is expected to return to Brazil from Florida next month, could face genocide charges for his actions. Which would be so. very interesting. Um, yes, it to would. See how we could deny this when he is literally responsible for, you know, gutting the Amazon, literally genociding. Did he like publicly, like, he population. was very publicly yeah. for it. Like, yeah. he wasn't, this wasn't like an underground thing. He was just very, like, openly like, yeah, yeah, yeah no, he's like very, shit. Yeah. <laughs> he was uh, like all about it. Like, yeah. yeah. So it's kind of like, if that just comes back and bites him, then that's very good. <laughs> okay, we got one final news story to go. This is about the protests in France, we're keeping you abreast of the situation. And uh, in developments this week, a Bordeaux town hall has been set on fire as the protests have continued over plans to raise the pension age. Uh, more than a million people took to the streets across France on Thursday, with 119,000 in Paris, according to figures from the Interior Ministry. Um, you will have seen all sorts of stuff going on in uh, France this week. You will have seen um some stuff where there's been a tractor sort of uh, uh going against a uh, water cannon truck which was very interesting uh there's also been uh fires on the streets of paris and of course this now in bordeaux um there's all sorts of stuff going on all over france at the moment um and it's it's really looking like shit is is gonna pop off there and like I don't know, like, it's already popping off and, you know, Macron is sort of, bought, I guess, just like, you know, barging ahead with it, with his with his idea to raise the, the pension age still, uh, despite there being a vote in parliament or, or, or they wanted a vote in parliament. But he said, no, we're not going to do that. Um, you know, just just foregoing democracy, as is his want. Um, 
Yeah, so very, very interesting moves. You know, police are firing tear gas at protesters. They've arrested 80 people across the country. Um, but unions are still calling for more uh, pro further protests next Tuesday, which would coincide with our boy king charles iii's state visit to the country so i think that would be very uh pertinent actually that uh the french would would uh, uh protest the next time uh, an actual monarch visits their country um but yeah you know we've seen a lot of other protests going on in france this week as well it's it's not just the pension age protest we've seen some climate change activists preventing a reservoir being built which they say is going to damage the water table and damage the uh, agriculture in the area um, and just the wildlife in general. Um, they, they've been preventing this reservoir from being built. Uh, and police, in response to this, you may remember um, the police found out that they are not very good at policing things in, I don't know, you know, countryside settings, uh, rural settings where they sort of sink into the mud with the amount of heavy equipment that they've got. So what they did was they got some quad bikes uh, and just drove past firing rubber bullets at protesters. That's very normal, isn't it? Very cool, ah. very normal stuff there from the police uh, who just, you know, these climate activists just wanted a reservoir to not be built. So that's the news for this week. Uh, well, I think I think that we, we did a pretty good job covering that despite the lack of our beautiful, sweet Sophie. And I wonder if we'll do another great job of covering uh, a little push of the Patreon. Oh, my God. Um, a little cheeky push. A, a little cheeky push little cheeky push and yeah so you know as you know red planet is a show that is basically completely and utterly run by conrad zimmerman who is our producer he's a fantastic guy we love him to bits despite little little cheeky joke you know a little cheeky bit of banter with him every now and then um but yeah we basically uh, uh do pay him with proceeds from our patreon we uh yeah. do ask you to consider becoming a patron because there's loads of awesome stuff that you can get as a reward for being a patron and i'll tell you about the first level of rewards which is sprite mode which is two pound a month or i think it's two dollars fifty um i think in new zealand dollars i think it's like ten dollars a month or maybe it's, it's four dollars for it's four dollars yeah. ten dollars would be pretty bad i always i always overstate the news yeah. yeah um but yeah $2. you can get yeah you can in get started oh it's two dollars a month in in, uh, in america freedom yeah. books uh get started with your support for red planet by becoming a sprite benefits include the sacred and forbidden knowledge that you're helping the red planet team early access to vods and access to our awesome mm. discord uh but tim why don't you tell us about our favorite uh, well, it's not our favorite, but one of our favorite yeah, yeah. Uh, tiers. The highest one is our favorite. But um, right. the second <laughs> one is Goblin Mode, which in uh, New Zealand dollars is $10 a month. I think America, oh no, it's, it's $19 a month, New Zealand. American, I think it's 10. And um, how much in Great British Pounds is that? Is that like roughly like uh, it's nine pounds pound £9.50. Yeah, £9.50. All right. And, um, yeah, so uh, everyone loves a goblin. We all get a little goblin mode from time to time. Complete your gobology by doing goblin mode with. So you get everything from sprite mode. Pack a cool Red Planet stickers for you to stick in legal places and only places like that. And you get access <laughs> to the exclusive Red Planet Discord hangout. So that's with the normal sprite mode, you get access to the, the Discord. But with goblin mode, um, we do Discord hangouts. So... Yeah, we try and do them um, every now and then, just like a 
kind of like watching a movie or a documentary just as like a private kind of stream where we just hang out. It's a little bit more of a relaxed kind of chill vibe where we just kind of, yeah, just watch something and talk about it and, you know, kind of go over everything. And it's usually like pretty based stuff. Mm-hmm. So, um, and sometimes some, some kind of like hard to find stuff as well. So um, yeah, pretty, pretty interesting and fun. But uh, Kira, what about the next one? What about Beast Mode? Sure. Uh, Beast Mode at $20 a month or in New Zealand. <laughs> oh, no. $38 a month. I had to scroll back to it. <laughs> Sorry. And in England. 90 pounds. <laughs> wow. Um, <laughs> holy shit. Are you actually going to go Beast Mode? Well, then we can offer you all the stuff from the lower tiers and pin badges. Yep, pin badges. Wear your excellent new Red Planet pin badge literally everywhere. It is completely cool and good to do. Wow. But what if you want to be ultra cool? What if you want to be a sicko? Well, I think if you wanted to be a sicko, you could go for our final tier, which is sicko mode at £94 a month, a hundred US dollars. Um mm. what is it, Tim? Or Tim is gonna uh, <laughs> <laughs> I gotta like scroll back up. Um, so uh, then I gotta click the see more, and then it's okay. So it's um, 189 a month. 189 plus GST, actually. New, it's New Zealand dollars. So that's quite, yeah. yeah. That's, <laughs> Thank you, Tim. Thank you. Um, yeah, we got so there. We got there. We got there in the end. Uh, so yeah, that is sicko mode. And if you support us this much, we can only really reasonably offer you all the stuff from the lower tiers, plus a very special thank you message at the end of every stream. Which, if you stay to the end of this stream, you will hear us thank our sickos. Um, but that is the um, shameless self promo segment done for today and it's the new segment done which can only mean one thing uh we are going to be speaking to our guest next um so basically there are a lot of things going on all over the world at the moment but i think housing uh is indeed one of the biggest issues not just in the uk but all around the world it's at the intersection of many different marginalizations um and if you are you know, a young person in particular, and you're going to university, you are at the behest of what this institution has to offer you. And in terms of what universities have been offering uh, the young people in the UK, the students who are going there, they are not good. We're talking, uh, you know, infestations, damp, mold in some scenarios, uh, just literally holes in the ceiling uh, with rain pouring in and all that nonsense. So some extremely based students in Manchester uh, decided to take it upon themselves to uh, do a rent strike and occupy some university buildings and with us today we have fraser mcguire who is one of those students fraser why don't you introduce yourself to everyone uh yeah hi uh my name is fraser mcguire uh, i'm a first year university student uh, at the university of manchester um i've been very involved in the rent strike and the occupations uh, alongside well well over 300 other students who are just completely fed up with what's been going on uh, both at this university and sort of with the national university system and that you've been in national news this week haven't you 
Uh, yes, we have. I mean, it's not not the first time the rent strike's been able to make headlines, but it was a uh, it right. was quite a special one this week. Um, at roughly five a.m. on Wednesday morning, uh, myself and roughly twenty other uh, students who were occupying a university building. Uh, were woken up to the sound of a door being uh, torn down uh, by about 15 bailiffs or dressed like uh, dressed as close to police officers as they can legally <laughs> um, coming in sort of uh, body cams on torches on um, telling students like you've got to get out now uh, obviously we don't want to just walk out so we end up getting dragged or carried out by bailiffs uh, there's a lovely photo of me with four uh, massive blokes dragging me out of this building. That's a very cool photo, by the way. Um, yeah. Not that not that it's cool that you got dragged out, but it's cool that you uh, were resisting. Um, and it, I just I'm very proud of you. It's not to sound weird, but like I'm, I, I think it's cool as hell that you were. Sorry to interrupt, but I just I'm really impressed. Like it's very cool when you show this type of resistance, especially as like a first year student. Yeah, um, it's massive. It's really, it's, massive. it's really inspiring to see um, people like younger people really have no tolerance for for this bullshit. It's 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 cool as hell. Sorry to interrupt, by the way. <laughs> no, ab- absolutely. I think it's um, and the amount of people who are willing to take a stand. Uh, it keeps everyone's morale up, you know, every, everyone's supporting each other, even right. people crack, cracking jokes while we're getting dragged out of the building, stuff like that. I mean, we know what we're fighting for. Uh, mm-hmm. Special about especially students, uh, younger people nowadays, there's so little faith in sort of the system and in the processes which we're supposed to achieve change by, which is that a lot of people understand that there isn't actually a way uh, to achieve any sort of meaningful change without direct action, without collective action. I think that's been part of the success of building such a broad movement of students. Uh, that's over awesome. The last few that's awesome. And um, Red Planet uh, listeners, our Red Planet audience will probably be interested to know that the team that evicted Fraser and his comrades from the, ocu- the occupation were actually the national eviction team that we've discussed on the show previously with activist Huda Amori from Palestine Action. Uh, and they, on their website, make a big show uh, uh, and boast about the fact that they have removed uh, hundreds of thousands of, of peaceful protesters, uh, demonstrators, and travelers. So just just to get this straight, they are proud of their ethnic cleansing. And that is literally, um, oh yeah, and Sophie in the in the Twitch chat has just reminded us as well that they are also the same team that have evicted the London Macnovists, uh, who we also had on. So, you know, we are becoming quite well acquainted uh, with these. But let's, let, let's take it right back to the start, Fraser. Talk to us about why the rent strike movement happened and yeah, just sort of like what the demands are and, and, and what you guys are, are hoping to get from the university. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so for people that aren't aware, about two years ago, there was a similar rent strike at Manchester. Uh, this was mo- this was different motivations. A lot of it was caused by uh, sort of the, the way the university treated students during COVID uh, and the use of uh, metal fencing to try and keep them in their accommodation during lockdown. And uh, that rent strike was extremely successful. So I think as a first year, as a politically uh, active first year coming to the university, I was already aware of the history of student uh, activism at Manchester, which is ar- arguably which goes back into to the university's foundation. Yeah. Um, a lot of first year students were already aware, and there are people in sort of third year and doing masters uh, who were involved in the previous occupation and the rent strike, who we knew if we had issues, we'd be able to go to for advice. Um, from the start of coming to the university, it was clear that the combination of the cost of living crisis uh, and really high rent 
uh, in pretty substandard accommodation was massively impacting uh, a lot of students. I mean, um, people talk about sort of, oh, the student uni life experience, but that's something which is slowly disappearing in the face of sort of our economic crises. Mm. You always get these sort of tweets which are like, oh, I bet you all spent all your money on beer and stuff like that. And it's well, maybe a pint now and then, but the point is most students are spending sort of 70, 80, 90 plus percent of their student loan uh, on their accommodation. Um, oh my god yeah it's it's terrible really um we've we've done a lot of the maths i mean the problem some of the accommodation we've got students and you're basically paying 700 pound a month for a single a single room which isn't catered so it's self-catered and you'll have a shared bathroom um which is utterly awful but Mm -hmm. i think the turning point um from just people being angry into sort of a genuine uh people looking to actually, well, how do we change this? Uh, it was probably around the time of the publication of the university's finances, um, mm-hmm. where they were very proudly announced that they had doubled their academic surplus, over the, uh, their operating surplus over the last year from a 60 million in 2021 to a 119 million pound surplus uh, for 2022, which is absolutely huge. So as students sort of struggling to pay, pay bills, struggling to be able to sort of go out uh, struggling to be able to afford meals for a lot of people for the university to say we're really pleased to be making an 120 million pound surplus I think that was just sort of the turning point because people start to get really angry mm-hmm. I mean students deserve to be able to go out you're getting into tens of thousands of pounds of debt you should be able to go and have a drink with some friends you should be able to go and grab a coffee that shouldn't be something you should be ashamed of mm-hmm. the shame should be for the university making ho- over 100 million pounds a year off mm-hmm. the back students who are struggling during a cost of living crisis mm-hmm. that's, that's where the anger really came from and around the start of January uh, myself and a few other first years with help from previous rent strike uh, activists uh, began sort of organizing and sort of speaking to other first years to try and get a rent strike going uh, and you can really see how much appetite there was for that because we started on the 2nd of January the rent payment was due on the 19th and in that 18 day period we had over 350 students uh, sign up and declare they were withholding their rent which is actually huge when that's never- enormous that's amazing yes yeah, it is huge actually for i mean i'm 19 uh, at this age you've never had that much neither that much money oh, nor this that is much such money. a good oh i love hearing that i'm sorry i'm having <laughs> this is great i'm having a blast <laughs> i'm so excited to hear this this is awesome I will not interrupt you again. I oh, promise. No. <laughs> she will. She will. I was excited. I was excited as well. But no, it's, it's it's brilliant. You can see you can see the anger and you can see almost the desperation of students um, because a lot of people didn't have anything else to do. This is what the university doesn't understand, which is that this is students who actually a lot of whom don't have any other option. A lot of people can't actually afford to pay their rent. So the rent strike, um, it was able to gather support from this anger, from this or desperation of a lot of students. Um, the university originally tried to cast doubt on the number, sort of saying, oh, we, we think the rent strike is sort of uh, inflating it. So we did a freedom of information request. Um, and it actually showed that by the end of January, there were over 900 students, uh, 934 precisely, who hadn't paid oh. rent by the end of January. Uh, obviously, a number of those were people who just sort of hadn't got around to paying their rent yet, hadn't made the manual payment. But the fact that the university was able to go to the national press and say, we don't think there's 350 strikers at a time when there are actually over 900 people who hadn't paid their rent just shows sort of how a huge financial institution like the University of Manchester is completely willing to go and lie to the national papers. about. <laughs> speaking, wow. of, uh, speaking of lies, um, Patrick Hackett, who is the 
uh i don't know what he is he's like a secretary or something for the for the university I, Reg I registrar i think is official. yeah regist registrar is the, the official term uh but he seems to i'm sort of i'm sort of skipping ahead here but like you know in terms of like the occupation uh that you were evicted from um you know there was a statement of solidarity wasn't there from from the students union which um i think that what was it over ten thousand students voted to support the rent strike or something like that yeah, we had a huge um, referendum. I mean, we had when we've had uh, communication from, for example, the chancellor of the university, um, they've said things like, oh, engage through the democratic process, because obviously that, that will solve everything. But re really, the university's um, in structure is very badly set up for students to actually demand genuine change. We say, go on then, we'll, ma we'll make a point of this. Uh, so we called a referendum for students. Uh, over 11,000 students voted uh, in the single issue referendum, which is probably the highest ever. Uh, there was a similar turnout in SU elections about eight years ago, but everyone, every single person that voted then got free chips and a drink. And we, did, we, we didn't do anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> no incentive required, just uh, yeah. Yeah. sign, sign, sign here. here. <laughs> yeah, so 97% yeah. of students voted to support not just the rent strikes demands uh, and solidarity with the rent strike, but also to support uh, the UCU who are on strike uh, and to demand sort of cost of living payments for second and third years in private accommodation. Um, so it shows how uh, motivated the student body is that you've got a, a, that many students voting just a three day period while political turnout is often so low uh, in student unions. It's, it was amazing really actually seeing the results of that and showing it's really showed the uni exactly actually what students think of senior management and what they think of the decisions senior management has made. And in, in, in terms of uh, senior management, this is why I was uh, sort of setting up uh, when, when I uh, yeah, wanted to talk about this bit is that Patrick Hackett, the registrar, um, has responded. Uh, he wrote a response to the referendum in which he claims that there was injury and intimidation done to the university staff during the occupation, which... Oh, no. Well, well, the thing is, is that we do know that that comes with the job of being a security. So, you know... Uh, tiny tiny <clears throat> violin anyway if that did happen it's, it's so but funny also... like intimidation for a secure you know like it's like intimidation <laughs> is like like that's your job is security <laughs> like you know like <laughs> You, yeah, like, I yeah. mean, it sounds like a skill issue to me. <laughs> well, this, well, this is it, right? Because it's like, yeah, so they were saying that the students who, bear in mind, like like Fraser, are mostly like first year students, you know, 19 years old, some some probably 18 years old, and just like, that's it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that, those are the people that are intimidating you. Okay, man, yeah, fair enough. And also, like, here's the other thing. I'm not saying that, you know, people of that age can't be intimidating, but you didn't actually do anything. Like, there's no evidence of this stuff at all, is there? Oh yes, it's it's utter nonsense. Uh, I think it was around the nineteenth of uh, February. Uh, university security have been extremely sort of aggressive to students within one of the occupations. Uh, so a number of students decided to sort of come in, help them bring in some food parcels, stuff like that. Uh, during their entry to the building, the university, uh, for some reason, decided it'd be a great idea to call up the police and say that students had essentially been attacking security. Uh, quite quite a stressful night. Uh, lots of police cars and bands showed up. But almost immediately as they got there, the police left 
because the moment they asked for sort of any evidence, I mean, where are these injuries, where stuff like that, the university was completely unable to provide them any evidence. Uh, I'm sure if there was evidence at all of any injury or saw anything like that, why has the uni not actually decided to pursue that? They've been very uh, open about that in statements. But I mean, we've already been to court with the University of Manchester. So why are they, why are they not bringing this up? It's a complete lie. They're trying to drive a wedge between students and ordinary staff members, uh, despite the fact that we're both fighting sort of against the marketization of higher education. Um, and it, it's utterly disgraceful, but unfortunately not unexpected from the university. Yeah. Um, I think, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's disgraceful. The lies that they've told, are awful. I mean, if they're going to talk about uh, intimidation and injury uh, during the John Owens occupation, obviously we had some lovely barricades which were constructed, uh, but I nearly had a filing cabinet pushed on me by a security guard on the morning when they were trying to breach in. And it was only when they realised that actually there was a chance of extremely seriously injuring a student that they stopped trying to bash down these barricades. Again, if they're talking about intimidation, when you're asleep on the floor of a university mm-hmm. classroom, having the door ripped off its hinges and a bunch of pe- people dressed like paramilitary police come storming in is actually not that fun and is also quite intimidating. So I'd, I'd like to see how Patrick Hackett would respond if bailiffs came and dragged him out of his house in a similar manner. I'm sure he would that feel would, intimidated. That would be interesting, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's wind it back a bit because uh, we've spoken a lot about, about the rent strike and that is really, really awesome. And I think it's important to point out, this is something that uh, uh, Sophie, who is uh, in the chat today, in the Twitch chat, but uh, can't join us. um, She says that rent strikes are the most effective action against universities, whether the issue is housing, bigotry, institutional failure, or anything else, because universities' main business nowadays is landlordism. Um, And you've done a lot of the the maths around this, your uh, uh, rent strike sort of, uh, well, it's it's an acephalous organization. Um, And uh, yeah, I wonder if um there's any kind of information that you've sort of figured out numbers wise because i know you said like before you found out that 900 students took part in the rent strike and you can kind of the rent strike's been going on since uh i think january is that right yeah you said january. january it's been going on yeah. Since, yeah and so you know you could kind of make a guess at how much that has impacted the university's income but yeah have you done any other kind of maths to show like how much actual financial damage this has done to the university um, yeah, it's pretty, a lot of it's difficult. Obviously, there's massive transparency and accountability issue with the university itself. But from the original Freedom of Information request, uh, we know that at the end of January, there was £1.7 million in total in unpaid rent from students in university halls. Obviously, again, a significant proportion of that was likely as a result of students who hadn't just got around to paying. But a very significant amount of that was students who were actively making a political and conscious choice to rent strike out of protest of the university's actions. Uh, we estimate the total amount that rent strikes withholding is well over £500,000 uh, and that there's over 350 students rent striking. Uh, the thing which I hope the university is worried about is in uh, less than a month's time on the 20th of April, we have our next rent payment date, which means that every student currently rent striking will then be hold- withholding twice as much money, which will immediately go to over a million pounds in uh, withheld rent. Uh, but I think the amount of students who are planning on joining it, uh, if anyone from the university senior leadership team is watching this, you should be extremely worried because the amount of support and the amount of students who have said, you know, I didn't join the first time because I was quite scared about getting not paying a two thousand two hundred pound debt, 
but and now have seen uh, our successes and have now seen that we actually have safety in numbers that are planning on joining. We can see well over a thousand students consciously withholding rent, not to mention people accidentally doing it because they've not got around to paying, which could be sort of well over two million, maybe even getting off two and a half million pounds withheld from the university. So I, I hope they are. Based. I hope they are aware of what's coming on the twentieth of April. Incredibly, you have the best awesome. attitude. Can I yeah. say I love your attitude? <laughs> It yeah, makes think... me joy. It makes me amped. Yeah. You know, you like, would like flip a table or something. I love it. It's great. You would, you would be so like so. You know, yesterday uh, I was talking about how I went to like uh, you know bully some fascists along with some uh, other anti-fascists uh, down at the university, and like yeah, just like the vibe that a lot of student activists have nowadays are just really, really awesome. I think Jay and Issa uh, from the Laboratory of Interaction and Imagination will be really proud of you folks uh, because things like you know um having just like a there's there was like two different arms of the protest yesterday there was there was like people partying and celebrating queer culture and and all that kind of stuff with like drag and dancing and this kind of stuff and then there was the anti-fascists who were like bullying the uh obviously these these people were anti-fascists as well but like you know the the anti-fascists who were you know willing to basically bully the fascists in the corner like that sort of like double pronged approach there was someone going around with a bucket of cupcakes yeah. uh that i was offered that seemed really really nice but i you know i'm, I'm trying to be good um and uh <laughs> yeah just like people with like sound systems turning up blaring jungle and stuff like a real sort of party attitude and um i think that's what it's about it's about like you know not just saying to people like this is very very serious and we're gonna do this so talk to us fraser about the university of manchester rent strike um tiktok because yous have been like popping off on TikTok. And I think that this is like really, really awesome. Oh yeah, uh, it's been brilliant. I mean, it's our, it's our most followed social media, even though it's the new one. Uh, the Twitch and the Instagram, we managed to sort of grab off the people who'd done the rent strike last time. You know, we were saying, you know, you've got a couple of thousand followers to so give us them. Yeah. Uh, but we decided, you know, uh, socialism and organizing and activism in the new, in the 21st century, you need new tactics. And one of those is uh, having a big TikTok account. I mean, we've got over a million views in the last week. Uh, sort of getting more than sort of major media platforms um, and it's it's having a massive effect because wh where do a lot of young people get their news where do a lot of young people sort of uh, engage and interact with the media mm -hmm. uh, it's on platforms like TikTok and this mm -hmm. is some, the University of Manchester's TikTok they probably get like 300 views on some of theirs but we're <laughs> When it's made do, by young yeah. people and when it's made by activists, you can actually really reach out to people. Uh, I think a huge um, impact it's had is the amount of especially current sixth formers, uh, people who will be going to universities next year and are currently in the process of making the choice of where they're going to go to university next year. If they're scrolling on their TikTok for you page and they're seeing videos of sort of Manchester deploying bailiffs to drag students out, videos of sort of rats and mice in accommodation and people going, yeah, I'm paying £700 a month for this. I can think there's one university that they're probably not going to want to go to. Absolutely. Uh, the University of Manchester reputation, as much as their financial direct finances is at risk. And TikTok has uh, actually been really effective in terms of sort of engaging people and in getting the message out there, because obviously the organising uh, is incredibly important, sort of building up the relationships between activists. But being able to get the optics, you know, being able to sort of get the word out there, uh, shine a light on the issues within sort of uh, the, the student housing crisis, within the marketization of universities, uh, is also having a huge effect. And we're, broader than the rent strike, we're helping to do that. We're helping to get the message out there. We're helping to get young people and students to actually see, like, not just what the issues are, but why, why are these issues here? Like, what, what are the systemic things which have led to the university system becoming so run for profit? 
Yeah, I think that is so awesome. Um, it's it's just like yeah. So and you and like it's good content. Like this is the thing. Like if you're if you're even remotely a lefty, or even if you've probably like I think like you said what about the 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 six formers? I think is especially um, um, pertinent because lots of people who are younger than university age they they may not be you know radicalized. They may not be even remotely interested in politics or have an inkling of like what's going on. Um, I know that a lot of that is changing generationally compared to my generation. Um, but certainly like there's going to be people who have no idea where they stand politically who will watch this stuff and they'll go yeah that's pretty funny and it's pretty based you know Mm -hmm. like this this seems like good shit um so i think that's so powerful uh, Mm -hmm. and really really there's like so many weird there's like on um tiktok as well it seems like there's like a huge amount of people making like kind of I guess like some form of naive political content that is just like super reactionary and like doesn't actually you know it's like the kind of stuff that people would watch it and be like oh yeah this seems like progressive or smart or whatever like that and then it's really just you know like some conservative bullshit just wrapped up in kind of like vaguely progressive language Mm -hmm. so it's always good to see like actual people and actual orgs that are actually out there doing something creating Mm -hmm. kind of um social media content that actually kind of you know like it has something behind it you know it's like actually linked to real world activism and you know something that actually makes sense once you think about it so um we've spoken about the tiktok we've spoken about the rent strike the numbers the impact this is having on the university so um we reported on the occupation of john owens when it happened i think was that oh god it was like february or something or or, or, yeah february we went in um, so was... talk to us about how it started and what happened and everything because the way that it was like reported in the newspapers was super funny so yeah talk to us about that oh yeah it was, that is an absolutely brilliant experience um so on the 8th of february uh about probably 50 students in total occupied three university buildings uh that was the engineering building uh the sam alex building which is sort of humanities focused like lecture theater seminar rooms uh, and the most fun one which i was in uh, was the John Owens uh, building, which is senior management. Uh, that's a very important building. Over 200 people work in there, predominantly senior leadership team. It's got the director of finance. It's got the vice chancellor's office. It's got Patrick Hackett's office. Uh, it's got lots of really uh, important um, rooms in there. Uh, and we managed to get in on the night of the 8th of February. Uh, we announced the three buildings were occupied uh, that night on Twitter, which the university found out about very quickly. Uh, I think the funniest thing, uh, and this hasn't actually got out into the media too much, is that when we announced it on the 8th, we only announced what two of the three buildings were. And in one of the court documents, which I've seen, uh, the university didn't wasn't able to work out that night which the third one was. And it wasn't until uh, the next morning when everyone came into work in the senior management building uh, and they couldn't get in because of the barricades that they realised, oh, no, like the third one is like the most important building in the university, uh, which is brilliant. I mean, <laughs> yeah, they've, um, yeah, it was I mean, students, you know, you walk, you walk in, uh, feels a bit like you're in a spy film. You wait till the building's cleared out at night. People have left. And the moment that's done, you sort of, you come out. Obviously, it took a while to build the barricades, you know, c- carrying sort of around like heavy furniture and filing cabinets takes a while. 
But the fact that you know you've got a while till you get discovered is absolutely brilliant. It was it was a very fun experience. Uh, barricade, <laughs> barricade workshops will be the next thing coming. You know how to how to build a barricade with the furniture. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh yeah. <laughs> like I think the the funniest thing for us is when one of the occupiers was was questioned about it. They said we just kind of walked in and nobody noticed that we just didn't leave. And I, I, like, you know it's it's when when we're talking about like the security and i'll ask you a bit about this in a sec but like you know the the incompetence of the security um just in general like that that kind of like you know is a theme here right with the, with the occupation so talk to us about like some of the things that the the, the university of manchester security did while you were there uh, it's just massive incompetence they sort of uh they sort of flicker between sort of uh over aggression putting students at very serious risk uh and sort of complete negligence of being unable to stop us walking into a building as they don't seem to be able to find a middle point uh so they're either sort of putting students at massive risk sort of trying to push like heavy furniture on top of them uh stopping us getting food parcels into building uh, physically threatening like female students like at night when they're out by themselves uh, near the occupation or they see it's complete incompetence I mean it's stuff like us being able to wander into a building uh, at night time and not actually be noticed I mean we had time to sort of cover up all this indoor security cameras before anyone had the chance to look at them so we had eight days of sort of free they this is like a, it really is like a spy movie <laughs> yeah literally oh my is. god Oh, but it's right you know, of um isn't episode of that workaholics show where they like barricades oh, yeah. or they like hide in the office after hours and take a bunch <laughs> of acid or something it sounds great it does sound like ocean's eleven <laughs> yeah Gen generally i mean it, and it's so much easier than people think because the only thing stopping things like occupations happening more often is sort of people being unwilling to sort of technically break the law obviously it's technically a civil offense trespass but it's, it's barriers in your mind it's not actually physical barriers that stop this sort of direct action taking place often it's True. the fact that it's the fact that students aren't going to think shall we wander into this senior management building and lock all the doors from the inside it's not actually the fact getting in there that's the hard part mm -hmm. uh, I think that's been one of the things that's been so successful with this. Obviously, I've been involved in political organising before, but a lot of first-year students, it's their first thing they've got involved with. And sort of being able to sort of um, break those sort of mental barriers, you know, being able to step outside the box of sort of like uh, a capitalist mentality of property rights and stuff like that. It's had probably a lifelong impact on a lot of people, you know, being able to technically break the law, but because there's so many students involved because it's mass uh, collective action, actually they're not being any it's sort of immediate consequences some people uh, treat the law like it's a line and once you cross it you know your life your life's gone but the truth is collective action you can you can really sort of challenge these sorts of things and you can challenge the mentality and i think um it's probably one of the most successful things that the rent strike has done is help sort of politicize uh, a lot of first year students who probably otherwise wouldn't have been as politicized and really sort of help them get in touch with sort of actually or getting involved in political organizing uh, and a, a broader appreciation sort of direct action uh, so it's it's been amazing really wow just, just incredible um the, the i think one of the funniest things that i saw i think this might have been on like a, a a twitter post it was something on social media but like the um <laughs> the 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 sort of like soviet era style propaganda where you were like making paper airplanes and just like sending them down to like the security's car and stuff like that yeah, i think was, that, that was, was the fantastic funniest. that was a fantastic no that was um 
It was, I mean, it's pretty boring. There was a specific contract security guard who'd stopped us getting a load of food in earlier that day. And it was specifically, it was one of my mates bringing the food down uh, about quite late. I'm pretty sure it was after midnight. We just sat in one of these buildings on the fourth floor of John Owens. Realised you had a perfect view at this guy uh, sitting in his car, just waiting to see if there's any sort of movement about. Big, big, big stack of paper. Turns out you can make a lot of paper airplanes in quite a short amount of time. Uh, <laughs> pretty sure after that, it was he actually got he he just moved further away. But we 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 probably threw about a hundred paper airplanes at him in about three minutes. <laughs> 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 on the fourth floor, and it's 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 amazing how it happens. It's students uh, actually being able to sort of have fun, you know, keep morale up, stuff like that in the occupation, and then sort of quite on it to be honest like pretty nasty contract security people who've been going out of their way to sort of make students in really uncomfortable and difficult situations having a really awful time actually so we, we were having a lot more fun uh, than some of these people who've been going out of their way to sort of stop us getting food try and make us sort of stress put us at risk really uh, so yeah that was definitely one of the highlights of john owens was the uh, the paper airplane incident uh, it was <laughs> excellent so good and um yeah i just i think like that just the whole movement has been just so good so progressive um you know like you said like politicizing the other students um you know making sure like i think what you said is is so poignant breaking down the barriers in your mind i know sophie will appreciate me saying this um but it's like um what morpheus says to neo in the matrix which is that you know um they will never be as strong or as fast as you because their rule their world is bound by rules and we know it's a bend or break them right and that might sound like a silly uh analogy but it it, it just goes to show that like you know if you live your life in i guess it would be right to call it the neoliberal mind prison which is that like there is nothing better to achieve and individual is the only thing that we should be trying to better and and, and think about rather than the collective community then you're never gonna escape capitalist realism and i think that's also a really important thing that you said that like you know you're breaking the 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 like the mind barriers of, of you know capitalist thinking like you're thinking oh, yeah. like we could have a, a a world outside of capitalism um oh, yeah. d- have you read mark fisher at all or is that just something that you lot came up with uh, yeah I, I mean i've I've read a bit of mark fisher but uh, I, go, yeah. I think that as well is when we've sort of been having sort of these i mean there's a lot of sort of political discourse and discussions you have when you're in an occupation uh and i think i mean i'm quite big into my science fiction is the ursula Le Guin quote of uh, the power of capitalism seems inescapable, but so did the divine right of kings. So any any human power can be resisted and changed by other human. You know, they're just systems which we have created, and they can be deconstructed uh, by us. That's probably been one of the most important bits of these occupations: is sort of having this space, uh, especially in the Simon Dome, which obviously lasts over months. Just having this sort of radical and progressive space on the university campus, which is completely run and controlled by students. Uh, and it was absolutely brilliant. You know, over a hundred in Simon, over 150 people took part in that occupation at some point over the month and a bit that it was going on. It was absolutely fantastic. We sort of we were holding sort of radical workshops uh, on sort of a massive range of subjects, holding sort of like know your rights trainings, everything like that. And it was just an incredibly powerful uh, thing we were able to do. And the amount of students I think it would have had an influence on is brilliant. I mean, something we like doing now is if there's if students are going to have a meeting. In the university building, where that's sort of like an assembly to discuss something political or just a broader meeting, you don't book out a room anymore. You just find a room that's empty and you just go and take it for a bit. And even <laughs> things like that is it's so changing, funny. it's breaking the rules, but it's you doing it in a group and you, it's yeah, I think it's been absolutely fantastic, really. I mean, all, all laws are they're just 
guidelines anyway you know <laughs> <laughs> of, course, of course here on red planet we do not encourage people to break the law but they're yeah, only they're only is... real when they're being enforced if no it's one's there true. actively enforcing them then it's like eh. <laughs> it's true um so in terms of um you know the workshops that you guys were putting on in the uh, in the in the John Owens building. Tell us some more about that. Tell us about like what kind of things you were teaching people, what kind of things you were uh, you know, doing in the in the occupation workshop. Um so John Owens was the one we didn't we didn't do any occupation uh, occupation workshop in John Owens. They were Sam Sam Alex uh, and Simon when they were ongoing. Uh, as they were the ones sort of with the best spaces for it. Ah, Obviously right. the barricades to John Owens were it was too difficult to get people in and out. But yeah, Sam Sam Alex and Simon we just we a huge amount of workshops. I mean students were actively sort of invited to sort of take the lead on things uh, that they were knowledgeable about. I think one of the best ones was uh, the know your rights training which is sort of a two out two plus hour sort of discussion on sort of how, how the police operate how uh, you can stay safe in sort of protest situations uh, sort of the basics of sort of knowing your legal rights that was fantastic probably more than 50 students came along to that workshop uh, you even have a couple of people come along from other universities in the country not not ones too far away but sort of take part and sort of come into this uh, radical activism space um we had people from sort of um like uh systemically oppressed groups coming in and sort of just actually having sort of really open discussions with people about how sort of you can challenge sort of systemic oppression and sort of system systemic discrimination in society i mean i can't it's difficult to actually sort of think which the best ones were but it's between the film show and sort of the different workshops uh people got it was brilliant for sort of challenging people's worldviews getting to come along to these but also giving them practical skills like what do you do at a protest you know if there's a snap squad going for someone if there's a kettle starting how do and some of these were put to quite good use uh yesterday when all the police were starting to surround surround people at the anti-fascist demo uh, that was really awesome to see how everybody clocked that a cattle yeah. was being attempted straight away yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. awesome yeah yeah because yeah. yeah, yeah. that's like one thing that is like you kind of yeah you need like uh, most people tim did a video on kettling of... tim did a video <laughs> yeah. on kettling you kind of need uh, most people involved to kind of really know what they're doing and know and to kind of know what uh you know like what a kettle is and stuff like that because if you know if like one person goes oh shit they're kettling us and then everyone starts panicking and you know like people start doing shit like that it's all over you know it's like yeah it's, um so that yeah that's amazing that um that you were able well that you know someone was able to teach people that just, and that you were able to put it to good use because um yeah just on that one of the just... harder things to do in like a kind of protest environment yeah, the title of the video is How to Survive and Thrive in a Hypothetical Dystopian Street Battle. I think um, something that was really interesting to see as well yesterday at the anti-fascist protest, uh, I didn't speak too much about this um, earlier when I was talking about stuff that I've done this week, but like, yeah, when, when the police realized that we knew that they were trying to kettle us, they changed tactics almost immediately and then just kind of like tried to like make basically make a big line around the fash i thought that was really really interesting so like i don't know how prepared they are for people to turn around and, and go oh they're kettling us they're kettling us because people were saying it quite loudly they were saying like watch for the kettle and shit like that and all of a sudden you know they just went oh okay let's do something different i saw like the officer who had like a red thing uh, on yeah. on their um shoulders sort of going in between two 
different groups of police. So she was obviously like some kind of tactician or something. Um, But yeah, I think that was a a really interesting response. Just something for the audience uh, there to to consider about this kind of stuff. But yeah, okay. So I I think, I think it's, um, I definitely think it's good to, to talk about that as well, because like, this is, this is, as you said, Fraser, like you've politicized a lot of students who are, probably not political they probably never thought about politics or if they have thought about politics they've definitely not thought of anything outside of electoral politics um and they are coming into this you know brand new world and they've got a lot of amazing awesome ideas and i think that that is something that's really important i think that like as you get older you um start to be like no these are things that work and we should stick with this and da, 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 da. but then in terms of like the creativity and imagination of younger people i think is something that definitely shouldn't be like stunted in regards to direct action and shit like that and, and this is something that you lot have shown uh not just with the tiktok but also like you know utilizing the the uh the spaces as you've said to do like you know training and, and know your rights sessions all this kind of stuff and, and obviously like also like hosting places for marginalized people to come and talk about their issues too um so do you also um in terms of like uh just what you're seeing with the vibe in students at the moment are you seeing more of like a um i guess how would i call this like um um innovative uh, sort of sort of uh, ideas are you seeing like new ideas being discussed that you've not heard of before and like you know is there like a lot of sort of creative uh direction that's going on here or are you just kind of relying on old stuff um i think there is a huge amount of sort of new and sort of especially like very radical ideas coming about i mean students have often been sort of at the forefront of sort of radical action uh, and ideas sort of simply like off a combination of having a load of young people in a in a small space people who are sort of haven't yet sort of had it made any sort of peace with sort of the status quo or anything like that uh, and a lot of whom are especially doing uh sort of subjects which really make them question stuff you know sociology stuff like that uh it creates sort of a really radical atmosphere and i think when that's combined with um i think there's quite a widespread sense when people of mind especially of the fact that the system is completely broken and it will continue to be broken for us. I don't think, for example, that that thing you always hear people say about, oh, you're going to get more conservative as you get older. Uh, I really don't think that's going to happen. I mean, part of the reason I think people have said that is because historically, every single generation has been better off than their predecessors, pretty much until my generation, which is significantly worse off than my parents. Uh, and it's sort of, it's, I mean, I'm not going to retire till the whatever 2070s, 2080s. By that point, with climate change and with, I, I can't imagine what the world is going to be like then. When the university threatens things like, oh, we're going to get, you know, we might impact your credit scores, stuff like this. No one my age is going to own a house. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, I mean, it's it's a joke, but at the same time, it's it's not a joke because the few the reality that young people. Uh, are facing is completely different uh, and the challenges we're going to be up against in the future are going to have to completely reshape people's worldviews I mean people aren't ready for even sort of probably the next decade of uh, political economic uh, and sort of environmental change that's going to come about um, so I think this is part of the reason why you are really starting to see sort of both sort of in intellectual and academic circles, but also just in sort of broader organising and activism. Uh, sort of so many sort of new techniques and ideas coming about as young people are realising, well, there's not there's not a way of making this political change to any of these systems we currently have. And it's, I mean, it's not necessarily going to have be brilliant. I mean, there's going to be a lot of bad stuff happening, but it's going to be fascinating mm-hmm. sort of seeing 
households mm-hmm. yeah. are going to evolve. This, uh, this is kind of what Red Planet is all about, really. We are desperately trying to educate people on how to make that transition to this dystopian world that you describe uh, from, from this dystopian world uh, th- that we live in right now, how to make that transition, uh, you know, a little easier because, or, or at least make that world not dystopian because, you know, there is every chance that, um, you know, by people coming together, uh, you know, organizing in revolutionary manners, building dual power, um, you know, this this is uh, the way that we actually make the world a better place. Um, and I think that you can have like a, a bit of a, what is it, what is it, the absurdist, nihilist sort of uh, worldview of this anyway, even if you are very doom-pilled, where it's like, well, maybe there's no point in doing anything because we're on a meaningless rock in the middle of space and nothing makes sense and it's all bizarre, but also, why not try and make things uh, better for, for, for future generations or even, you know, our generations or people who are still here in later generations mm-hmm. because, you know, that is just our experience that we have and, you know, I think empathy is... Uh, extremely based and important right um so it's it's extremely good to know that like you know uh, yous who are like you know first year students at manchester university are doing all this based stuff like rent strikes know your rights sessions anti-fascist demonstrations counter protests uh you know all these awesome things when i was just getting super fucking high uh in a shitty little uh you know flat in 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 south manchester um yeah really really inspiring actually um So, uh, yeah, in terms of, like, the vibe at university as well, I think another thing that I'm really interested in is, you know, uh, you know, do the students there, like, oh, actually, no, because you've mentioned this already about the the solidarity with with UCU, and this is a massive thing for the rent strikers, right? Because you mentioned this earlier that, like, um, uh, and I think that maybe some people don't really know what you meant by that. So do you want to explain the rent striker solidarity with the UCU? Oh yeah, absolutely, and uh, and people watching that don't know, sort of the UCU is sort of our university and colleges union uh, in the UK, which represents sort of tens of thousands of sort of academic and university staff, and they've been taking sort of a lot of strike action. Uh, it's been sort of in waves over the last few years, but it's especially sort of intensified over the last sort of four or five months. Uh, so there's been massive erosions to sort of people's pensions. There's been messing around with pay, real terms, pay cuts, uh, and some awful action on sort of people's working conditions by universities nationally. Uh, so university staff are hugely impacted by the broader marketization of higher education, which is also hugely impacting students. Uh, the average uh, student, uh, the average staff member at the University of Manchester is on uh, around £27,000 a year. Uh, most of them who have gone through maybe sort of six, seven years of uh, sort of quite grueling sort of academic um, sort of education of the masters, a lot of them have done PhDs, and that's when you have sort of senior staff who are sort of on two hundred fifty thousand plus making all these decisions that affect both students and staff. Um, it's it's so important that sort of students and staff realise that we're in the same boat. Uh, and this has been something that I think has been incredibly successful with the rent strike is the way we've worked with and alongside uh, the UCU. Uh, whether that's been encouraging people that are rent striking to also go down to picket lines just to show support uh, for UCU members. Uh, and every bit of solidarity that we've shown them, we've been shown back. We've had U- UCU members and university staff uh, donate to fundraisers, uh, bring food along to occupations, which we've been sort of hoisting windows with like a bag attached to some rope. Um, and oh, that's just, amazing. <laughs> that was one of the most fun bits, is getting brought some pastries. Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, it's really what solidarity is about. I mean, it might, the struggle, the two struggles that we're in might have sort of quite different um, things. I mean, we're struggling against high rent, they're struggling against 
uh, like pensions cuts, pay cuts, working conditions. But it is part of the same broader fight. And so many students and so many UCU members have especially sort of really started to take note of that. Uh, It's been absolutely fantastic. I mean, when we got evicted from the Simon building at 5am, rather than going home and go to sleep, although probably I would have enjoyed doing that, we went, got grabbed a uh, McDonald's breakfast and then went down to the UCU picket lines at 8 a.m. Uh, oh my god, stand, it's cool. As hell. And academic staff were out. I mean, a lot of them were quite uh, impressed by the story of saying, we, Yeah, we just got carried out of uh, that building over there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's massive and it's again, it's showing students what solidarity is about i think mm-hmm. the wave of strike action we've seen in the uk uh, has also played quite a big role in being able to get students to take part in the rent strike uh, yes. because sort of the, just the idea of strikes and the idea of collective action uh, has been much more sort of pushed into the mainstream media uh, when we've had extreme sort of articulate working class people like mick lynch being able to go on the tv and sort of sort of flip the debate on its head away from what sort of the right-wing media would like it to be. It has had a pretty big impact, I think, as union membership is starting to climb again in the UK. We've seen the RMT win a 14% uh, pay increase and get a deal on sort of network rail stuff like that so the strike action which uh, the broader labor movement has been doing uh, has sort of been able to pass on has like had an imprint and an impact on uh, the mindset of students and i think that's had a big impact on the rent strike and especially working with the ucu um, i mean that's why we included in the referendum uh, for the university to also recognize uh, the ucu demand so now passed by 97 percent like of the students uh it's official student union policy and manchester's the largest student union in the in the uk um that policy is now for the university to actively support all of the ucu's demands as well as the rent strike so i think that's been probably one of the most amazing bits about it uh, and I have some good banter with some of my lecturers and seminar people as well about uh, the occupation and stuff because they they love it they understand that we are supporting them uh, throughout this and we know that they are supporting us when when we're facing disciplinary action when we're facing the threat of uh, actually from the university we know that our staff are standing alongside us because uh, it's part of the same struggle and it's what solidarity is about uh, yeah that, that's a great that's a great point so you've seen like support from your professors and stuff like that yeah re- really i mean obviously there's there's some um sort of uh who oh, might yeah. really take part in strike action uh, <laughs> but for the vast majority they they really do understand i mean they have huge issues with the way they've been treated by this university I would uh, imagine. really speaks to them to see mm-hmm. students being dragged out of a building or being sort of publicly insulted by like senior management who've apparently got nothing better than, to do than argue with sort of 18 and 19 year olds. Um, so it's it, it's it's been sort of amazing. And despite the university's attempts to sort of drive a wedge between us and staff, sort of they put out sta- statements on staff net and stuff like that being like, oh, we're worried that students in occupied buildings might be going through like your private offices, or we're worried that this or that. They're trying to drive a wedge, but mm-hmm. we've, we've reached out. We actually did a statement uh, at one point saying to sort of staff like to ordinary staff uh, just saying like if you are if you normally work in the Simon building Sam Alex something like that and you have it in any way disrupted we are like obviously we're very sorry uh, disruption is very difficult to get around but we are every action we take is targeting the senior leadership team uh, we are standing up for you our demands are the demands which you're asking for in your union and we will not sort of be doing any of the things that the university is trying to allege that we've been doing like saying oh what if they go through your drawers what if they like take your laptop or something so it's, like, it's it's nonsense it's just the university trying to break it because they know that students and staff as as a sort of collective body is incredibly powerful in the university because that's mm-hmm. sort of 95% of the people 
who are in the university system. Um, so it's, it's yeah, it's just been amazing to have been part of that and seeing the solidarity between staff and students. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Um, I want to go back to a comment that Sophie uh, wrote in the in the Twitch chat. Uh, she says, every time we interview young people, we find out we're about 15 years out from a full-scale global revolu- revolution. Um, and <laughs> yeah. from like what you're saying with it, with your collaboration with the UCU, like the uh, the solidarity you're seeing across organizations, across your, like a specific goals, but still recognizing your your class like uh like where what class you all belong to and what that means it's 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 i mean i can't i i think she's right i mean it's it seems like some really really cool shit is happening in people uh, um people that are younger and um and that transcends just that group like i'm getting inspired and i'm i'm not of your age group but it's 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 very very cool to see and i'm really excited to see what's going to happen in the upcoming uh, few years although it's going to unfortunately be a bittersweet thing because you know it's just with the collapse of a lot of these systems and uh, and like you know the advent uh the advancement of climate change unfortunately it's going to inspire um a lot of that solidarity as well well we we would hope right so um it's very very cool to see what's going on with you all um and in terms of uh what kind of um you know i guess i guess i guess what what the the main thing that i would say because you've you've done such a good job already you've already like done all of the things that we would normally ask guests about which is like you've explained like <laughs> how to get involved with something like this you've explained why it's important you've uh you know talked about like the different uh you know intersections that you've like you know got gotten in, involved with uh and, and that kind of stuff so yeah it's like uh, I'm, I'm just like struggling to like think of like you know what what, what else do i want to know from you but I, I i just remembered actually it's um there is a um a, a strike fund is there not or is, is that something i i've i've got wrong uh yeah so we've got sort of a solidarity fund um so sort of that's mostly for sort of um especially sort of putting some students minds at risk because obviously the university has been threatening sort of big fines uh, both for ordinary rent strikes and people involved in the occupations uh, so yeah we have got sort of a solidarity strike fund uh, we're not entirely sure what all of it will be useful, but the majority will go be going on fines. It'll be going on sort of providing protection. There's one point in John Owens where we, the university is trying to completely stop us getting food, where we had to consider like spending some of that money to like get some food in, uh, issues like that. But yeah, we have got we have got that. Uh, it's it's on it's on the rent strike Twitter um, and stuff like that. And we've we've had quite we've it's been overwhelming actually the amount of support we've seen because obviously f- financial support from people is hugely appreciated as a lot of students don't have the I mean one of the things the university's done with the uh, rent strike is they threatened every single rent strike with a twenty five pound fine, which isn't that much um sort of in comparison to the amount of rent we're paying but a lot of people don't have sort of 25 pound in disposable income to pay so we are also essentially doing a strike fire uh, a, a fine strike which is that we're also not paying that 25 pound but yeah hell yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. i strike that <laughs> Yeah, they, yeah they also they also threatened you you said this earlier about the um about they've also threatened like credit score stuff right with like saying that like oh they're going to send debt collectors around and stuff like that and and all this kind of stuff and and again this is like you know i i personally i've seen the the letters that they've been sending to students um and it's like as someone who is a housing activist and i understand you know what sort of 
procedures people have to go through before they start doing these things. I, I kind of know how that works. Uh, yeah, they're just kind of chancing it, really. They're just kind of like trying to put the shits up students because, again, like you said, even if they did get debt collectors involved, uh, debt collection agencies um, to, like, you know, harm your credit score, yeah, yous aren't getting mortgages. You know what I mean? Like, you know, no student is under the impression of, of like, you know, the, the false impression that, like, oh, yeah, one day I'll own a house. Like, I'm a fucking 33-year-old, you know, uh, 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 fairly privileged millennial, and I know I'm not going to fucking own a house. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't understand what the fuck they're... That they think that they're, they're even doing here. I think it just really shows how far removed from reality they are um, in terms of like that kind of stuff. And um, yeah, what's what's your take on the on that kind of those kind of threats? Um, I think it's well. First of all, I think it's disgraceful uh, from the university because obviously a lot of students, the cost of living crisis sort of massively sort of compounded uh, mental health issues. Uh, over sixty percent of sort of uh, UK students have sort of said that they're just in the last few months sort of their mental uh, health has sort of deteriorated quite significantly uh, as a result of sort of the combination of cost of living crisis and substandard accommodation uh, the university to sort of make the sort of threats that can to be honest terrify uh, students who might be sort of feeling vulnerable is absolutely disgraceful that they would try and do that rather than engage and i think if there was sort of any humanity in these decisions that was being made if there was any sort of fact other than sort of cold hard profit the university would at the very least open negotiations rather than try and if your immediate response to someone telling you that they have a massive issue that they're uh, sort of getting desperate about uh, like their financial situation if your immediate response is rather than even negotiate with them is to try and scare them uh, it's to try and sort of put pressure on them by threatening sort of all sorts of legal action uh, i think it, it says everything you need to know about the university um i think one of the worst things they've um done in terms of scaring people he says a specific email that's always sent out. It's been sent out for years. We've spoken to second and third years, fourth years about this. And it is after the exam period. And you just you get an email. And at the bottom of it, it normally says, if you have tuition fee debt, you can't see your grades. The university for this year, because of the rent strike, decided to rephrase it into, if you have any debt, you will not be able to see your grades. That's not true. They can't do academic punishments for yeah. rent. But the university intentionally, I mean, they 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 change the wording specifically. Yeah, people trying to get people. They're making so many sort of um they're sort of alluding to things which they know they can't do, but they know that sort of the average 18, 19 year old isn't gonna understand. I mean, we don't we're not going into this with sort of massive knowledge of sort of property rights and the legality of stuff. So the university is just trying to scare people with stuff that they can't actually do by implying that they can. Like that, for example, they implied in an email that uh, like your credit score can be affected before a third party agency has been involved. That's just not true. That's yeah, not how the contracts work. But bad. they know that most students won't know that. And they are just trying to scare people. I mean, it's disgraceful. The current thing they're doing, mm-hmm. uh, I, I've not had one yet to my door. It'd be funny if I had it during this. Uh, but they've been going <laughs> printing out these emails now and slipping them under students doors just because that's more scary and it will make people mm-hmm. think that oh like oh no like it, i mean it's not nice uh, when you know you sort of you've got unpaid rent you're part of a strike to sort of feel like you're being targeted sort of getting a letter slid under your door we've had people get them at sort of um like quarter to 11 at night or very early in the morning uh from university staff uh, it, it's it's disgraceful really that it, it bore i think it just yeah it boils down to that which is that they don't want to negotiate and they will just try and really negatively impact the mental health of students mm-hmm. to try and get people to pay but um 
I think they're going to be the union's going to be unwilling to actually take some of the action they're threatening. We've seen the backlash of them evicting eleven students from an occupied building. Uh, not eleven; it's eleven that's going through disciplinary action. Around twenty that were actually evicted. Um, but we've seen how bad the backlash to that has been. If they try and evict three hundred students <laughs> from the place where they're living, the university—I don't think they would actually be able to do that with their reputation. So they are no. just trying to scare people because they know they're sort of backed into a bit of a corner. They know they—they're not going to throw 300 students out onto the streets for like protesting the cost of living crisis which is pushing people to the point where they can't afford rent so they have nothing to do but to try and sort of uh scare people to uh, play on people's uh sort of anxiety with stuff like mm-hmm. that. it's yeah. just awful that that's how they are responding to both the mental health and a cost of living crisis is trying to scare people rather than negotiate and there's been no negotiation with the university they've been very clear that they are not negotiating with rent strikers or students that are involved mm. i feel like it's it's not only a fear that they're trying to prey on it's this this expectation that when they say something because they are an authority figure that the lowers will just listen to them and just go okay whatever you say because this is a relationship this is this this like this authority and uh, or or benefiting from that position of authority has been historically, you know, a thing that that these like ruling class members have been able to do. So that now these new generations are starting to question that in really profound ways. And I think that's a lot of what we're seeing right now. I, I don't want to undermine that point. It's not just the things that they're saying that that specifically just trying to scare you, but it's also because they just wrote something on their like, on their letterhead and said, you need to do this thing. It could be anything. They're expecting that you are afraid of that. Just, just respecting that authority figure that they are. I think it's so great that you're not <laughs> like, I think it's really awesome that you're just not respecting that authority that they think they're owed. You know, they well, think that you're, they owe that you owe them that respect. This is certainly something that I see with um, private renting students, students who are outside of halls and stuff with my work at GMTU. Um, and that is that, like, if a student complains about their living conditions, um, they are often ignored. They are often, um, they have these, like, really bad um, channels through which to do stuff that are just, like, layers of bureaucracy that are, um, you know, turned into apps nowadays. So, like, you know, if you're with, like, a certain letting agent, not naming any names, but there's a lot of fucking big ones in Manchester that do this, they have, like, an app where you can, like, register, like, an issue. And some fucking private renting students that I've, you know, been on disputes with have said that as soon as they label this this disrepair issue, they click send, it then automatically pops up as like dealt with. Um, so it's like, you know, they don't even they don't even like respect the students <laughs> yeah, enough yeah. to actually like say, all right, we'll come and investigate this. So, you know, I think and, and I've sort of entertained this idea because I do think there's an element of youth liberation here. I do think there's an element of ageism that is going on. I know ageism is commonly used to to talk about when people, um, you know, attack older people, but I think it's definitely true for younger people. I think that younger people experience a kind of oppression that is very unique where it's like, you know, you're just told this is what reality is. This is how I was fucking spoke to when I was a kid. You know, this is how it is. You grow up, you get a job, you fucking die. That's it. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, wow, what a shit life. Thanks for birthing me. You know what I mean? Um, and, and, but like, I think that that is, that comes alongside with, uh, uh, you know, how these institutions deal with people. Do you hear a lot of sentiment of that amongst the rent strikers, Fraser? Yeah, I think massively. I mean, people are just as worried about what's going to happen next year, almost as they are this year. 
Um, I think as well as the point you made sort of about private landlords and how much of an issue it is, there's so much collaboration, which is that if private landlords increase their rent, uh, the university will use that as a justification to jack it up in halls because they'll go, well, look, we're trying to keep in line with sort of the average increase in student areas in private accommodation. Uh, but then that in turn gives the private landlords a thing to say, well, look, the student halls have just gone up because the university's done this, which means it's okay for some of them. And so there's almost this sort of a collaboration of landlordism within most student cities and student areas where even if it's informal there'll be sort of a work a working together of the way that rent is increased between both uh, purpose-built student accommodation uh, and private accommodation uh, and it's um you, you really see it um how sort of competitive uh the rental market is obviously it's an issue that's affecting millions of people across the country but student areas it's often being uh, it's sort of at the absolute forefront of the rental crisis um you sort of have you're expected to within roughly probably two to three months of starting university in first year you're meant to probably you're expected to have already put down sort of uh, the deposit on your house for the second academic year and already chosen who you're going to be living with for that second academic year and the competition is pretty it's pretty awful i mean you have uh, a house viewing uh, and it won't be your group it will be sort of 30 people all at once sort of wandering around this house and then someone will probably sign there on the spot so this is utterly huge uh competition within sort of the student uh, private market um and there's something that a lot of students are worried about because it's obviously the rent strike part of it is being able to sort of fight directly against the university of manchester while there is this much broader issue of both of the housing crisis um within society but the way that it impacts uh, students often at a disproportional um level see I've, I've seen that a lot and it's something which a huge amount of students are worried about um i think while there is a lot of optimism it, it really makes people feel almost quite hopeless about um, like people talk about, especially older generations talk about sort of getting on the housing ladder. I mean, that's not going to be, that's almost a redundant concept. Yeah. Uh, we're the largest private renters generation since sort of the invention of like the aeroplane and stuff like that. Like the last time you had this large resection of society, uh, this age sort of in private renting, often paying as much as people are for mortgages, was sort of during the late Victorian era. Uh, and it's 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 a huge huge issue, and it's a massive contradiction sort of within uh, society because it's not it's something that isn't going to get solved through any sort of um, like no one is currently proposing a, a solution to it. Um, get them to join GMTU. That's that's what I'd say because uh, we love making landlords cry. Um... Yeah, the GMTU, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the GMTU uh, um, like stickers and some leaflets down at some of our rent strike. Um, yes. So to make sure that once once people are out of halls and they're into their private accommodation, you have to get in the tenants union. You know, you can you you join your trade union for your collective organising in the workplace. But if you're doing that in your workplace, why would you not do that in your place where you live? So yeah. tenants unions are incredibly important, and it's yes yeah, something that's really important for people to join. Yeah, absolutely. Like I know one comrade from the union who, who's been involved in the rent strike and been involved in uh, all this kind of stuff. And it makes sense. It makes sense that you would like look at what a tenants union is and, and get involved and what have you. Um, but yeah, like um, I think that that is a really important thing to, to talk about is this like, you know, absolutely absurd, unhinged competitive market for student accommodation, especially private student accommodation. Like this is one thing on a dispute that I've been in. Um, well, actually, there's, there's a number 
number of, of renters from this particular letting agent. Uh, I'm not ashamed to, to say who they are because this is kind of what direct action is about, but Mazzino properties, uh, I would stay clear from them if I were, was anyone going into private accommodation after uh, uh, halls because they have a show apartment that they show people. Um, which is obviously the one that is the most looked after. It's the one that is the most cleaned. It's the one that doesn't have any issues, etc. But even in that same building, there are rodent, silverfish, mice, uh, you know, mice and rat infestations. There's mold. There's like one one uh, uh, tenant told us that there was like a a bubble of water that had formed from a leak on the ceiling. Oh, I I am familiar with the bubble of water in the ceiling. You know? Oh yeah, I've seen that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that was my last like apartment. We had like. Drooping. Yeah. we had to like yeah. stab it every winter to like let it like drain it was a whole thing. we called it house water Lance the boy. Like, like some house water it's some fresh house, house water, water. yeah <laughs> Anyways, filter it you know send it off uh i don't know no i probably don't do that um but yeah just just, <laughs> just like this absolutely this gross conditions and you know we've had uh students who have been in properties where it's even worse than that where there are like holes in the in the ceiling where there is like been carved monoxide leaks um and they've not been like rehoused overnight to actually deal with this which is something that is like it's illegal you know the, these landlords they don't follow the, the 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 law like the law is made for them in it you know what i mean it's it's uh so so they act outside of it uh so yeah i think extremely important to uh yeah for any students who are watching this who are worried about private accommodation like get involved with the tenants union uh, and gmtu have also like we've also said like you know if if the university makes the hellish mistake of trying to evict 350 plus uh rent strikers from halls we would absolutely do eviction resistances in solidarity with students because you know i think that's one one thing that I just don't think they'd have the resources for like and 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 let's let's sort of go back to that uh, because they they got this this incredibly expensive mind you uh, security form firm NET the national eviction team you know they know that they are working for corporations because on their website if you look at what they talk about they say like oh what does the law say about evicting protesters from my from my uh, business, my place of business. And obviously that's what the university is. They say, uh, oh, well, if it's private land, you know, you've got to hire us because the cops can't get involved. And it's like, well, yeah, you know, like that's 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 kind of, you know, that's kind of what, what they're advertising. So, you know, they will have spent thousands of pounds or, you know, hiring these fucking Stasi, Fry Corps, you know, Nazi bastards to, to drag you out of the, the university. Uh, buildings and you know they could have just sat down and, and negotiated a deal like it, it's it just makes no sense even from a money-making perspective you know and and they've lost so much money already and they're spending more money it just doesn't make sense and if they if they wanted to like evict 350 plus students from their accommodation that would be such a drain on the resources i think even hiring a debt collector firm to um go around these 350 plus uh, you know uh, 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 properties would be such an absurd waste of resources that they could easily prevent by just negotiating with the students um and you said there's, there's been like literally zero negotiation attempts made with with any other rent strikers or anything like that it's almost like they don't want to acknowledge that it's that it's a problem um which is really interesting because you know the whole country knows it's a problem now like the whole the whole the whole country it was on bbc it was on itv it was on all the major news channels um you know th this this kind of thing 
So, you know, you've already said like what you would say, like, you know, if, if there were anyone from senior management uh, watching the show, but like, you know, what, what, what would you say to like, if you had the chance to like sit down with, um, you know, like even Nancy, like, you know, I, uh, I don't know if Nancy's like stepped down at the moment. I think she's the, what do you call it? Like the Dean or the, the CEO of the uni? I don't know, whatever Vice, that is. Vice Chancellor, yeah. Vice Chancellor, um, right. Yeah. What, what would you say to Nancy or, or her equivalent or whatever, if, if you had the chance? Um, I mean, what I'd just try and get across, what I really don't think they actually understand is that so many of the students, that the reason we're getting involved in this or the reason this movement has taken place because there is no other option uh, and the direction that nationally and locally in Manchester, the direction that both the university system, but especially sort of the accommodation and hall system, the direction it's going in is totally unsustainable, which if there is not a very, very large change uh, quite soon, um, it's going to be in complete crisis. The amount of students who actually can't afford to stay in their accommodation, they can't afford their rent, uh, it's just it's, it's increasing year on year. Uh, so we have people and they say, oh, well, I was in your accommodation four years ago and it wasn't that bad. Well, I'm paying, we've got people paying £450 more this year than they would have last year, even though it's exactly the same accommodation, although now a year older, probably with some extra mice. Wow. So the speed at which the situation is deteriorating uh, is completely unsustainable. Uh, the student maintenance loan increased 2.3% this year. Uh, inflation is about 13%, I'm pretty sure, RPI. So already you can see there that it's devaluing at a huge rate against inflation. Uh, when you combine that with the fact that the rent itself is going up, something bad is going to happen. If the university, I don't know what the university's goal or plan is. If the rent strike doesn't succeed in its demands, if the university succeeds in sort of using uh, paramilitary style bailiffs to crush the strike, or whatever, it's not going to go away. The crisis and the issue will still be there. Students will still not be able to afford their rent. Working class students are already being marginalised and cut out of university because when the highest when the average uh, maintenance loan is lower than the average rent at the university, you don't have to be a mathematical genius to see there's something really wrong there. Either your financial situation is struggling or your academic situation is struggling. I know people at the university are working 30-hour week jobs alongside their um, degree because they can't afford otherwise. This is what the university doesn't realise is this crisis is not going to go away. And if they don't negotiate, if they don't sort of uh, engage with the rent strike and the demands, the situation will just get worse. It is completely unsustainable. Uh, the direction that our university system is heading in is completely awful. Uh, there is no longer a higher education system designed to educate. It is entirely profit-focused, and it's probably one of the most profit-focused sectors in the country. Universities are just money-making machines. And I don't expect the senior leadership to be able to... Uh, we've, we've seen they're not willing to engage or negotiate on this. But regardless of whether they understand it or not, the crisis is still there. Uh, and it's going to be just getting worse and worse. So I think this that is part is. of the reason why we have to fight is for the next year uh, and the year after. I mean, I've got a younger brother. I can't imagine what things are going to be like by the time he's wanting to go to university if there isn't massive radical change within the sector this year, next year, because it's it's going to be completely awful and so many people are going to be completely shut out of the education system. I think um, that point that you made about it being profit-focused is uh, so poignant because there um there is literally the one of the one of the most disturbing things i heard about um from a comrade in in the union is how university of salford have had just a massive drive for subs 
for the, the, the last academic year that there is actually not enough housing in Manchester. Well, I say housing. There's, there is, of course, enough housing in Manchester. We know this. There are more houses than, than, than there are people, right? Um, but the point is, is that there is not enough affordable, safe housing um, for students to come and live there. So what's actually been observed uh, by my comrade is that there have been students seen sleeping in the library with all of their stuff, right? And this kind of drive for people to come and study um, and not just study, because bear in mind, uh, our international listeners in the UK, uh, education is not free. You know, you are putting yourself into debt, as Fraser has, has already been talking about. The maintenance loan is just that. It is a loan. Um, you know, we're talking £60,000 worth of debt. I, that was what it was when I was at uni. I don't know what it is now. Um, but like, you know, that for the rest of your life hanging over your head. And also the um, the, the the fact that like, you know, if you if you want to go to university and like, you know, study, you, you want to have like a, a decent life. You don't want to be, you don't want to be homeless. Like these, these, these students have been seen at home, like literally they're homeless. They're sleeping in the, in the library and the staff are being trained on what to do in that scenario. The right thing to do is not tell anyone about it and don't bother them. Maybe erect a small fort around them to help them sleep. You know what I mean? But like the, it, it shouldn't even be happening in the first place. Have you seen anything or heard anything similar happening at Uniov? Um, yeah, I think there's been a lot of stuff like that. I've seen students. Uh, we've got the Ali G, uh, Alan Gilbert building, which is sort of like a learning commons, which is open 24 uh, seven. It's quite warm, uh, stuff like that. And I mean, it's I, I can I can see that that would happen for a lot of students. I mean, uh, especially first year accommodation, obviously rent is off, but the substandard accommodation itself you know you've got single glazing or you've got windows that are pretty drafty it's, it's freezing and often it might be nicer uh, I've, I've said this to quite a few people it's sort of like a, a, a it's almost a joke but it's also serious which is that when we were occupying john owens uh i was my sleeping and living situation was better than when i'm in my university accommodation because they have hot showers in there and my heating the heating's been broken for the water in my flat. that is often something i say to students that like I've seen squats that are more habitable than your private rented accommodation. <laughs> oh, yeah, gen generally, and it's it's a massive issue. I mean, especially a lot of students. I mean, some of these uh, flats, sort of. I mean, some of them built sort of sixty years ago. They've got sort of a quite nasty smell almost in them. So you have to have your window open a lot of the time for a lot of students. Uh, and it's sort of like, well, then it's freezing, especially during winter. And I, there were students I know that um, went home really early and came back really late for Christmas holidays because they couldn't bear to spend that much time in their university accommodation. So it's it's, it's just utterly huge. It's, it's, it's sort of that compounding effect of really, really substandard accommodation with massive issues, which is sort of making students just not want to spend time in there, uh, then combined with sort of massive rent hikes and already extremely high prices. Uh, there was actually a statement the university put out where they said, um, we think the rent price is justifiable. Uh, and one of the reasons they gave for justifying it is that we get free Wi-Fi included uh, with the accommodation. Well, it's not free Wi-Fi, is it? Because on top of the rent, we're also paying £9,250 a year in tuition fees. Right. We're getting into student debt. For. So you can't, you can't include that as something we're getting for free because that's coming out of our tuition fees. So, yeah, no, I, I completely... Uh, sort of understand what you're saying and i think that's it's common I be every single university in the country i think that will be an issue that students are facing um because of how universities are so driven for profit they will not they will not let that money sort of go into 
uh, improving the accommodation. And students are also worried because if the university does decide to refurbish your accommodation, even if they don't put that much into the money for the refurbishment, you know that there will then be a disproportionate rent hike and there'll be even less uh, reasonably affordable accommodation. So it's, it's a sort of students have sort of been crushed between those two issues, which is uh, compounding part of the mental health crisis, which is affecting uh, so many of us. And it's yes, it's awful. It's really, really awful. Um, talk to us about the um because this is um i feel like you mentioned this earlier so uh stop me if you've if you've already answered this because you've talked about so much stuff already i i think uh the one of the worst things one of the biggest things that i've seen is is um when you know they ask people to apply to the hardship fund um yeah because the the talk to us about the the why that's fucking bullshit fraser (laughs) It's, I mean, first of all, uh, the amount of sort of means testing um, that goes on with things like this is already re- really awful, really, because you can't, the way that means testing works for, within our university uh, student finance situation uh, is massively flawed because it often leaves people in really difficult situations. Uh, I think one of the biggest ones is to do with estrangement from parents, especially like where it's not sort of in any way legally recognised, because first of all, parent, parental income does not necessarily mean that they're giving you a proportionate share of that income so yes. already have students being massively affected there but the hardship fund is incredibly from what i've heard difficult to uh, access uh, i think we did a freedom of information request it was probably around three three weeks ago uh, and i believe 22 out of the forty-seven thousand students at the university of manchester had received the maximum amount uh, of the hardship fund which is uh, and yeah what's the maximum amount uh, i believe it's two thousand pounds um, which is when you bear in mind that the maintenance loan just this year alone has devalued £1,200 against inflation and that the average, uh, well, the highest, I think, uh, rent increase in a set of private halls is £450. Uh, and when you factor in cost of living crisis, it's actually probably less than they would have got next year uh, if the maintenance loan increased with inflation and if uh, the university hadn't chose to put up rent. Um, so, but the fact, I mean, 22 out of 47,000 students, I don't think those are the only people who are in hardship. Um one of the things we looked at, obviously, we've done quite a lot of research around like the national picture, and there was an ONS report uh, into sort of the way students have been dealing with things. It's thirty-seven percent of uh, young people and students this year at university have had to dip into their savings account uh, to either afford rent or food, uh, and it's fourteen uh, percent have actually had to take out a separate loan on top of their uh, tuition fee and student loan to be able to afford. Uh, just afford to stay at university so these hardship funds are they're almost like a reputation booster to university look look we're doing something uh, and so many other unis aren't and I'll admit that yeah there are other unis which are doing even less than the University of Manchester but the 120 million pound operating surplus which is immense I mean other big universities I mean Liverpool University of Liverpool I think they only have around a 50 million pound surplus not say only but in comparison to Manchester and they're doing so little and much of what they have done is because they know uh, that there is sort of a big radical student base uh, within organised we had the rent strike just two years ago which won millions of pounds uh, in its demands so the little that they have done uh, has only been sort of try and put students off taking action but it's been it's, it's had so little impact uh, I mean a lot of students got a like one-off payment which was roughly a week's rent but when they've put already put the rent up at the start of the year, uh, I've said to people quite a few times, it's like it's like mugging someone and then giving them back sort of a tenner and say go and get go and get a coffee or something. It's literally not, there's nothing the university's doing to actually genuinely have a meaningful uh, impact on um, sort of students' well-being. We're waiting currently to find out how much they're going to be putting up the rent 
um next year but it's it's going to be coming there's going to be an increase next year while the university knows that sort of rpis at 13 percent the costs are rising rapidly uh, and whatever that is we're going to stand out and we're going to oppose i mean one of our rent strike demands is obviously uh like rebates and reductions for this year but also like a free like once we have a lower rate of rent freeze it at that because we don't want next year we don't want the year after we don't want them struggling even more than people are this year so it's it's or it's just terrible what the union is doing it's really dehumanizing uh i think to a lot of students uh and it's made to be the, these processes for applying for hardship funds and applying for help in the us is made to be so difficult and so sort of alienating uh like the level of means testing you have to go into that a lot of students will simply be put off by by the amount and yeah it's, it's terrible it'd be interesting to see what the current numbers are obviously a freedom of information request can take up to a month but it'd be interesting to see what the actual numbers are because I, I i highly doubt that any more than 50 students have in total received uh sort of the maximum amount of help from the hardship fund um, which is disgraceful uh, not just a 120 million pound operating surplus but the unrestricted reserves that this university has so not including their restricted reserves which are sort of uh, meant for like almost their rainy day fund uh, is one and a half billion pounds um that is absurd. oh yeah if i is... yeah. I don't know how much they've mobilised in total for cost of living. I think combined cost of living and COVID help over the last sort of two years has been under £15 million from their unrestricted reserves that they've mobilised for helping uh, tens of thousands of students over that period. And um, out of £1.5 billion, that is a drop absolutely tiny what is that money there for if it's not for helping students in the period of the highest inflation in 40 years what is that money for if it's not for helping students when they can't afford to pay their rent when they're having to rely on food banks for them to work 30 hours alongside their degree it shows that the profit is sacred to the university senior management and they will not let anything get in the way of profit including the well-being of the students at the university Yeah, it's uh, it's just obviously such a, a, a kick in the teeth, um, you know, when you're already struggling so much that you would have to, uh, you know, degrade yourself. Uh, 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 someone, Shafiq Mog in the in the Twitch chat has just said it sounds like the hardship fund is being run by the DWP. And uh, yeah, it's it's similar, right? You know, it's that kind of like degrading, humiliating experience where like, you know, you have to like basically beg for money from the state, from the from the institution that you're at um, and then literally like getting, you know, just rejected on the um the 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 absurd uh, uh uh you know grounds of means testing for anyone that doesn't know the dwp is the department of work and pensions in the uk which handles benefits disability benefits and stuff like that but yeah it's uh yeah it, some people have said that it's like psychological uh, uh torture you know to try and go through something like that and i imagine it's very similar for students doing that too yeah we have um, a similar thing down here with our um our uh, working in New Zealand, you know, where you apply for benefits and stuff, and you can get hardship grant grants and stuff the same. But it's like I know so many people who have just chosen just to completely just drop it and receive no financial aid at all because the system is so like demoralizing, and like the staff there can be quite um just yeah, just really just mean, you know. And um yeah, a lot of people have said that the worst thing. The worst part about it was actually, you know, like going in and applying for these things because the hoops that make you jump through and just like constantly pushing you on like 
why did you need this and why hadn't you been doing these other things why weren't you working more or sleeping less or you know just ridiculous just ridiculous junk like that and it's um you know it's obviously it's a deterrent so you don't come back so that they you know they can um they're not you know they're not spending all mm. their budget or whatever like that and it's just like it's not uh you know it's not a system that's made to help people it's a it's a system that's made to to hit kpis and things like that you know and it's um yeah yeah it's, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing it's the exact same thing right like it's not um yeah it's it's made with the um the bottom line for the university in mind as opposed to like you know the um the well-being of the students or anything like that mm-hmm yeah, exactly. Um, you were you were mentioning that uh, your little brother. What does your little brother think of what you're doing? Oh, he he quite likes it. You know, when I go back from when I go back home from university, he's always sort of asking like, "How's it going? Have you have you have you won yet? Have you?" Oh, <laughs> that's yeah, awesome. He probably thinks you're a badass. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think that especially I've now I've been dragged out by the bailiffs. <laughs> I think so, but it's. I think yeah, it's, awesome. it's, yeah it's, it's really important I think you've seen sort of how uh, deep this goes within the uh, like our British education system is sort of like to what extent students are from quite a young age really pushed to go to university uh, and er- constantly as that's going on universities are raking in more and more profit um, and it's, it's it's awful I, I can't imagine what the the education system from primary school right through to university is going to look like in sort of five ten years time mm-hmm. yeah, yeah we've um yeah we've had that down here as well these you know universities that um the like the role as an education provider is not even like a not even like a secondary thing you know it's like they run like a business they've got um like property portfolios they're you know like investing in all these different things and it's just like it's wild like i've heard of university people protesting at universities so that the universities will like withdraw their um you know like uh their I guess like financial interests and things like you know everything from like um you know like weapons manufacture and like war profiteering and stuff to just like you know other kind of corrupt industries there's all those sorts of issues at Manchester as well so alongside uh sort of the issues we've raised with like cost of living and rent we know the university has contracts with BP we know the university has contracts with sort of weapons manufacturers and they're doing that sort of research uh, we had sort of we have our sort of um student union has like assemblies and stuff where people sort of discuss things we had a we had one quite recently which is it, it was it was the question like should the university be contributing to like the research and development of um like unmanned like military drones it's like what what a question to put to yeah, yeah. About stuff <laughs> like that. It's like, no actually but it's it's how uh sort of entwined sort of the higher education system is with sort of the military industrial yeah, uh, complex and sort of especially like uh, climate and sort of the oil uh, aspects that was that often they when the uni brings in recruiters or sort of as a way the system is set up people that are sort of ge- geography students geology students stuff like that so many of them will be pushed into work for big fossil fuel companies students that are sort of working in sort of chemical engineering stuff like that uh sort of aerospace they will be pushed into working for military companies like they have these massive cru- recruiters stuff like lockheed martin stuff like bae systems that will go go into universities and they take advantage of sort of graduate students that have very limited financial um sort of possibilities after university offering massive debt and they take advantage of that uh, and it's it's awful and it, go, it goes right down uh, to sort of the very heart of our higher education system these these issues and sort of the way the profit uh has sort of completely uh sort of corrupted 
uh, higher education. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I've seen other things as well, like some of the highest positions being like people that are like basically like the kind of financial advisors for the universities and things like that like managing their investment portfolios and it's kind of like at that point you really got to kind of take a step back right like you know think about like what is what is the function of what we're uh, doing here but um you know but obviously it's like this is a place you know this is a place that they occupy in like the yeah the greater economic system right um you know mm-hmm. uh but yeah we um we we should probably move into questions i'll read the first one uh from base junkie base junkie asks what are ways people can aid and support rent strikers if an action is called in or near their community um i think so one, one of the things that we've sort of been doing is we've had um and it it, it might it, they can often be quite inaccessible i think it's something that rent strike groups themselves have to make sure they are publicizing well is when there is sort of a high risk of sort of bailiffs or eviction teams uh, there should be some sort of alert system uh, it's something we had set up for the Simon building occupation uh, once the union had gone through court we knew there was going to be a high chance of bailiffs coming uh, so we just had sort of one of those alert whatsapp groups uh, so where only admins can post in it probably had about 200 people in this because we knew that we would need people to be able to come down and film that like we needed people to get the evidence that we've been dragged out uh, we were completely right obviously the university sent these bailiffs in at 5 a.m when there was mm-hmm. going to be no public about when there was going to be no one in the university buildings to try and get as little coverage as possible obviously that's been really bad for them but um, that's something really important is where possible if you know that there's rent strike if you know there's occupations ongoing uh, try and get as involved even if you're not actively taking part uh, it where if you're organizing it as well make sure there's sort of solidarity group chats make sure there's group chats for members of the public and people like locally to join so if there is a sudden urgent thing like an eviction going on and they just need numbers whether it's for mm-hmm. demonstration whether it's sort of people to film and record police or bailiffs that's really important again financially supporting any sort of rent strike movement stuff like that is always important especially if it looks like they're going to be going into legal costs mm-hmm. um and that's, even if uh sort of those aren't things that people are able to do solidarity you know keep helping keep them rise one of the most important things so as students sort of just people getting in touch saying like we're amazed by what you're doing uh that has a huge impact on people so it makes people uh, more mm-hmm. confident they're actually doing the right thing so yeah those those are some of the things i'd say uh, but the alert system is really important as well uh, and for people organizing occupational rent strike where there's a risk of bailiffs make sure you have something like that make sure you have a way of getting people like urgently to know even a lot of people aren't up at 5 a.m we probably managed to get 20 people down at 5 a.m within sort of 10 minutes to the building that was occupied uh, and that made the difference between getting on bbc news and hardly having anyone know about uh yeah awesome yeah cool yeah that's a that's great awesome. answer <laughs> um so the next one we've got is from anarchist artificer saying i'm disabled and wanted to know how i can help support protests and other activist actions given that i can't participate in a lot of direct action stuff the know your rights training was exciting because it showed how much someone like me can actually do oh that's awesome i'm assuming that this means that they actually participated in um one of those workshops which is cool um but yeah so um is there anything that um yeah like is there anything you can think of that that you guys have done or even perhaps roles that you know like weren't filled but you know you could imagine would be um you know that someone that kind of i guess like is physically disabled or unable to go out for long periods of time um would be able to help you out with Oh, yeah. Uh, I think there's sort of a huge amount of stuff. And this is 
uh, something that we've sort of been working as hard as we can really to sort of make sure that uh, spaces that we're operating have been as accessible as possible because I think it is often an uh, an issue that you have a lot of sort of groups and organizations where they organize uh, and there are sort of barriers in place to people who might not be able to get involved in the same way uh, some people so obviously with it's not the right kind of barricade that we want here right not, not the good type <laughs> but it's um, yeah and ways of mitigating this especially sort of as organizers you have to make sure spaces are as accessible as possible so when we've held occupation we've made we've we've made sure we've had sort of had a proper think about like well how easily can people get in and out when they need to uh what support can we give um in terms of organizing and make that we've made sure sort of there are there are ways for everyone to get involved regardless of like what their capabilities are like what their time commitments are everything like that so whether it's like helping out on social media whether it's giving advice and we've had um uh, sort of discussions and dialogue with the disabled student society at manchester about sort of like when that we've asked them sort of if there's if there's issues with stuff we're doing with like accessibility like just reach out just let us know straight away so we can get it sorted out uh, that sort of dialogue whether it's like people like helping out with social media posts stuff like that um, so i think it's a massive responsibility for activists to always make sure that there's stuff is as accessible as possible and that everyone can get involved regardless of what their capabilities are um so i think yeah that's that's something that's really important it's something that i think is um absolutely crucial to organize as well so yeah and it's letting people know as well as when there are issues when there are things that you think organizers can be doing to make spaces more accessible it's just being able to wait where possible to like speak up whether it's sort of messaging people and saying like, i think you should be doing this or i think you would be um making it more inclusive if you did this i think that's the most important thing is because we should all sort of be striving to make sure uh sort of left-wing and radical spaces are as inclusive and as accessible as possible um, yeah yeah absolutely. thank you for saying that yeah Awesome. Yeah, awesome. All right. Uh, next question. Um, Anarchic Alex says, have you been linking up with students in other unis in the UK to coordinate a national campaign? I see a lot of potential for coordinated UK-wide rent strikes, given most uni occupation or accommodation is contracted out to a small number of private companies. Oh yeah, uh, there has there has been a pretty good amount of dialogue. Uh, there's some sort of general discussions in the work, some of which is like on, ongoing stuff like that. But first of all, if anyone watching, student at university in the UK, uh, reach out, go on the Instagram or Twitter of the Rent Strike and reach out, and we will work with you. We'll be able to provide that support. We've already had sort of like phone calls and discussions with students at quite a lot of universities about the specifics of occupations, the specifics of organising a rent strike, uh, and that sort of included like providing them with like um sort of like some of the resources we've used uh, and advice and it's been brilliant and it's also linking it with them um, even broader student movements sort of um, anti-fossil fuels and divestment and demilitarization campaigns um, on the um, 1st of March we held a demonstration in Manchester and we had students from like 10 different universities like send up like little solidarity delegations and like spend the night in the occupation so that was sort of like people in total like we had people from like Nottingham we had people from Liverpool uh, awesome. Glasgow all over the country and it's it's what we need to do really it's obviously organize like, the first step of organizing the grassroots is in your local area but it's as much as possible you need to get it out you need to get sort of a broader national campaign so yeah it's a conversation that I think we, we need to be having and we're, we're doing it as much as possible speaking to students at the universities but don't hesitate to reach out and don't hesitate to sort of uh, speak to other people in your organizing circles about organizing a rent strike if you're a university student that's watching awesome yeah, cool all right, so um, from we've got uh, Shafiq Mok asking, uh, we know that substandard accommodation can affect people's health. What kind of health effects have students reported and has this affected their studies? Uh, I, I think so massively, uh, but I think both physical and mental health and the link between the two. 
uh, is huge. I think sort of the co uh, being in often like small cramped rooms uh, can have sort of really serious effects on sort of people's uh, mental uh, like health uh, and sort of ability to deal with issues, especially when that's compounded by sort of cost of living crisis. You know, a lot of people can't necessarily afford to go out when they want to, despite getting into uh, massive debt. Uh, but physical health wise. Um, sort of uh, issues with sort of silverfish and rodents in accommodation is already posing a huge health health risk to students. Uh, mold is probably one of the biggest ones. I mean, there's been reports. Uh, heard very little about from the university. We've had students reach out and say they've actually been hospitalised uh, because of issues with mold. And this is something we've heard at a lot of universities across the country because universities do very very little about stuff like this um there's the amount of sort of health and potential health and safety hazards from from the lack of money which is actually being used to sort of um keep accommodation up to standard let's speak for probably in another hour uh about sort of the potential risk but i think yeah mold is probably one of the biggest uh sort of immediate impacts that have uh, been affecting students uh sort of physically uh, as we've heard lots of reports of people getting ill and when i moved into my uni accommodation i had a really like persistent sort of like wet cough about two months uh, and I, I, probably a lot of that was just being in very substandard accommodation um, but yeah there's there's so many issues with this and it's because the universities they will not invest a single penny that they could otherwise get away with not spending they want to get as much money out without put with putting as little in as possible and it's yeah and the mental health effects has been uh, immense on students I think it, a lot of people are under huge amount of pressure and also yeah. just stuff like um you know like if you've got like moldy cupboards or silverfish and stuff like that you can't keep food for long times and long periods and stuff you know so it's kind of like eating into that as well you know it's um yeah there's like there's so many ways that little things like this like just having an uninsulated house or whatever just eats into like every element of your life you know so um, yeah and rough. i think um an important thing to remember um you know this is local to manchester as well is that uh you know the toddler awaba shark was 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 killed by black mold like that is on the the you know the autopsy like so you know it, just because uh you know he was a, a, a toddler doesn't mean that other people aren't going to get affected by this you know very real health hazard like it's 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 a legitimate health concern it's in the housing health and safety uh uh um what was it called the house the housing health and safety rating system which was legislation introduced in the uk in about 2005 um that you know damp needs to be dealt with in a property otherwise it can you know cause uh, extreme negative health issues and i think like you said fraser you had your cough there and I, i've heard so many people um you know say similar things and it's like i know what it's like living in a damp property i've lived in one you know like I, i've lived in manchester my whole life and i know that when you're renting a property and, and you're sort of like yeah this isn't like too good a gaff to be living in do you know what i mean and there's like a smell to it you know it just doesn't feel right like you know you might touch the wall and be like yeah that just feels damp you know what i mean like you can feel it and like you know you see the mold everywhere in the corner of the room and shit you're always fucking sick yeah it's like it's like a real health issue that, that people really have to deal with and i wouldn't be surprised at all i think i saw joe politics and um, they did a um an interview with one of the rent strikers in halls and she was specifically talking about like yeah like this is is basically made everybody in this house sick uh we can't afford to open the windows it's too fucking cold uh we can't afford to put our heating on you know it's all all the issues that you've already spoken about fraser so yeah it's 
yeah, you, you know, this this is this is a housing issue that you know is absolutely going to be affecting the students. But I think it it transcends, uh, especially in Manchester. You know, I think I think what a lot of people forget about housing in this part of the world, in this part of the country, is that um, you know this city was built on a swamp. You know, and 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 like a lot of these, a lot of these sort of buildings are, are, you know, they're getting on now. Like Fraser said, like there's a, there's like a 60 year old building that the university has. There's like, you know, just these ancient buildings where they weren't built with stuff like this in mind. Um, you know, they they the older sort of housing was designed so that people could like open their doors and have their fucking heating on full blast because you know heating didn't cost that much back in the day. Like you could literally do that. You could have all the radiators on, all the fucking windows open, um, you know, and that would be fine. But nowadays it, it, it's just not the case. You can't do that. You know what I mean? You've got to, you've, you've, you've got to literally like choose, I don't know, between whether you put your heating on or whether you eat that week. So uh, yeah, it's, uh, that's something that we have to consider. Um, but anyway, since I, since I am still talking, uh, I will I will ask the the, the final question, uh, which is from Wobbegong, who says uh, it's a boring... bit of a two parter, by the way. Yeah, That's it's why... a bit of a two part yeah. here. We've got Anna, Anna Kick Alex uh, weighing in again at the end as well. So uh, the first part of it is a boring question, but I'd be interested to know about the rent strikes, decision making processes, and internal structures. You've responded to events and developments properly. Uh, proper, quickly, and effectively. So it'd be good to know how tactics get put together internally. And then adding on to that, uh, Anarchic Alex says, building on this, have you had any internal disputes over policy or strategy and how have you dealt with these as they arose? Um, so it's been, we've had a very open, and it's, it's been really actually uh, interesting to be a part of. It's sort of the way that people who are all essentially the same age, uh, but some with like massive differences of experience have been able to work together on this. Um, so it's quite a, uh, is anyone is able to get involved in the organizing the activism you know there isn't sort of a formal structure like there is no sort of decision making committee uh, stuff like that but at the same time the the level of democracy and the level of participation uh, and sort of um like li listening to everyone involved has been massive so from the very beginning uh, sort of the big thing that was agreed on and decided sort of collectively by rent strikes is any sort of de demand or negotiation from the university is entirely a collective rent strike decision we're all taking the same risk with this so any sort of decision of that scale that is actually affecting sort of the specifics of the rent strike will be a complete open vote uh, which will be held um in terms of sort of more sort of rapid like fast uh decision making sort of when you're having to respond to stuff often that can be i mean we've had stuff late at night i mean stuff like the 5am getting dragged out uh stuff like the occupations there is um I mean, a lot of stuff's all been organised over WhatsApp. I mean, it's been very interesting sort of how a grassroots student movement has organised itself. Um, and so there's uh, the more, it's almost the more you put in, sort of the more likely you are to be there when a decision needs to be made. But we've been able to call sort of like mass assemblies, like open meetings of rent strikers whenever there's something important. Um, sort of we uh, democracy uh, and sort of uh, participation is the most important thing uh, with all this and it's been it's actually been amazing actually how sort of leading off the second part of that is how little uh, sort of like there's been no sort of serious uh, policy or decision making disagreements over that like there's obviously there's been all sorts of like you know I don't like the colour of that graphic or I don't think <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, because there isn't sort of there's no sort of 
formal structure to it at the same time and it's been very much a sort of anyone is more than welcome to get involved like everyone has different skills they don't let me anywhere near the tiktok i would be terrible if i was the one making the tiktoks and stuff like that so when <laughs> yeah i think the most that's that's it really is um so sort of when decisions need to be made really quickly it's often just down to who's there uh, at the time or who's relevant to it but there's there are we there are no barriers uh, to sort of people getting organized so we've had people who've been involved from the start and have obviously had their things on they've got busy and they sort of drifted off in the organizing there's been sort of first years who've not done political stuff before and they've got more involved as time's got on uh, but there's is yes yeah, very very sort of collective decision making process uh, and i think that's part of the reason why there has been so little uh, sort of internal uh, disagreement really is because decisions are if there's a decision where there's sort of massive, if there was going to be a decision sort of where there was like massive uh, like disagreements, it was like 50-50, chances are that would, there'd have to be like a big public open meeting. We'll probably go and do it in a lecture theatre or something like that. Uh, so it's been really interesting sort of seeing how uh, something that almost started as like a very decentralised grassroots movement has sort of been able to sort of overcome particular challenges. Like when we've had an issue, uh, we've had sort of change of strategy like when we started doing like o an open assembly or sort of a public meeting in a student hall we've been able to do that it's been sort of very flexible and i think it's part of the power uh, sort of the power that we have is that when we need to make a very quick decision at a time when half the people are asleep or in bed hung over we've been able to do that but when we've needed to sort of consult with the vast majority of rent strikers and make a collective decision we're also able to do that and it's it, it's very effective i think um in terms of the structure yeah, I think that's that's really awesome because like I think a lot of people do worry maybe too much about this kind of stuff. Like I do understand where the worries come from. Um, but generally speaking, it, it, it goes with what we know about revolutionary optimism, right? Which is that the material conditions that keep getting worse under capitalism will basically mean that everybody has to just do a revolution. Um, and I think when you're in those material conditions, you just know what you need to change and you know if people are sort of you know i don't know being being a bit time wastery they're being a bit sort of nitpicky and stuff like that like you could see that straight away do you know what i mean and sort of go hang on a minute listen there's a bigger picture here we need to deal with this um not that anyone obviously has been in university of manchester uh you know rent strike and stuff but i think that like that's what people might be worried about you know when when you have an organization that is like a uh, single issue um you can quite often you know see that like you know the the, the every, everybody is organizing under the same banner everybody knows what this is about even if they might have like slight differences uh in opinion and stuff like that then it's uh you know as long as they're not hateful obviously you know causing actual I think, damage yeah, i think that's been really important with it is sort of that there's been like even though there have been sort of like big differences in experiences there haven't been like interpersonal issues and stuff that has been like minimized as much as possible because we've not been sort of running a sort of oh you're more experienced and organized so you get to make the decisions stuff like that because obviously it, i mean it is it is difficult with any sort of organizing especially when you've got like several hundred people involved at sort of in massively different sort of social backgrounds massively different political situations and broadly different political views it's, it's impressive how how well we've actually been able to do it but i think a lot of that is because there hasn't been um sort of a, a space 
for sort of power struggles or anything like that you know it's uh it's very open organizing like people that have uh, sort of skills and things that they're willing to do and people put in as much time and as they're willing to do if people want to take risks like occupations they're more than open to but because it's i think because it's very open because we've been able to keep the organized very grassroots it's been able to sort of like minimize sort of any sort of, sort of sectarian political disagreements or even sort of interpersonal stuff between people who might not necessarily been involved in political things before but i think there will always be criticisms of regardless of the campaign or the organization there will always be a space to criticize and say well you could have done this or you could have done this or i don't necessarily like this bit of the structure i think that's always going to be uh, a bit of an issue with organizing but i think it's just keeping everything uh, as open as possible where possible uh, being able to be flexible being able to change uh, especially as some of the most important things you can have with a campaign like this especially when sort of the people you're up against like the university managers a massive financial institution are also rapidly changing their tactics so i think while, while there's been certain things we could have done better probably i think we've given it a really good uh, go in terms of the structure and the way we've been able to respond and the way we've been able to sort of engage in a decision-making process collectively that is just absolutely awesome i think yeah i i, I think all the hosts are extremely impressed uh with the yeah, organizing yeah. that you've been doing Fair work. um and uh yeah really really inspiring and uh genuinely we're, we're going to be keeping an eye on uh what you are up to in the the coming weeks and months very exciting um yeah and uh one thing that we like to do here at red planet at the end uh, of a show is basically give our dorks of chat, our little nerds, our little geeks, our losers in the chat, um, some homework because they love it. They love doing homework. And bots. our listeners. Uh, our listeners as well. Anyone who's listening on the podcast, that's right. And um, yeah, so uh, do you have any homework that you would want to give anyone listening or watching the show? Um, yeah, so I think a good bit of it would be if you're private renting, uh, if you're a university student, if you're sort of renting from university, if you're uh, sort of just in a direct landlord situation. First things first, sort of just where possible, sort of have a look at their finances, see what what is public about them. Uh, often, I think one of the most radical things people can do is just boring as it can be looking at data looking at like what's actually going on i mean some of the most radical uh theories and ideas that we've had in the sort of the history of uh like progressive movements has simply start, start from people just looking down saying well, well let's look at the data let's look at what's actually going on uh, have a look into your landlord you know uh maybe speak to other people who might share the same landlord look, google them look at look at the news stuff like that see what's going on are other people that might have the same landlord having issues with mold is there an issue that you're having um like could you could you be sort of joining with other people with a similar landlord and maybe even having your own rent strike could you be joining a tenants union if you're in sort of private rental with other people in this neighborhood who are having similar issues uh, so i think yeah joining tenants union massive one if that's something you're able to do because it puts you in a much stronger position uh, because you can take sort of collective action when it's needed and um, being aware of community organizing groups things like acorn in the uk things like gmtu who might be able to get involved with resist uh, eviction resistance should people need that uh, and just looking at what is going on looking at who your landlord really is looking at how many properties do they own looking at what other issues the people that have the same landlord as you face because this is often where collective action starts is looking at what the problem is it's looking at who's facing the problem and it's looking at who's causing it as well. And then it's saying, well, like, well, this is this is how we start and this is this is how the rent strike started. And then obviously it's it's gone on from there. So if there was a bit of homework, I'd say it's yeah, research, research situation of who who owns the where you're renting from. 
um, and yeah, get involved with other people, get involved with community organisations and tenants unions, because that's that's where change really starts, is when collectively uh, people sort of decide to stand up to an injustice. Um, Hell yeah. Um, awesome, awesome stuff. And yeah, just another another thing as well, like, um, oh yeah, yeah, people in the Twitch chat saying, yeah, join Living Rent if you're in Scotland, join uh, London Renters Union if you're down in London. Uh, there are also loads of uh, tenants unions in the US. That link that you had last time, Tim, um, the map of- the, um, What was it, the, the dual power map that Black yes. Socialists of America put together? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Black Socialists of America, dual power map. If you're in the US and you want to find a tenants union, just fucking go there. I, honestly, like I was so it's impressed. It's such a good the, map. Yeah. yeah, the tenants unions in the in the US. Fraser, um, it's been an absolutely amazing show. You've been an amazing guest, yeah. um, extremely based. Thanks for coming on. And uh, yeah, solidarity and, and all the best. Um, is there anything that you want to plug before you go? Have you got any links that you want us to share in the chat and stuff? Yeah, I'll say go and follow uh, Rent Strike on TikTok, uh, Twitter, Instagram. It'll be either Rent Strike UOM or UOM Rent Strike. Uh, for, you can keep up with all of our amusing shenanigans and also uh, serious issues like being dragged out. Uh, but we also try and put a lot of sort of useful information on there about sort of rent strikes, about uh, sort of how people can get involved with stuff there. Um, and yeah, just go out and make a difference. It's been fantastic uh, being on tonight. And thank you so much for having me uh, as well. You are awesome. Thanks very for coming welcome. Along. Thank you so much for coming. You roll. <laughs> Bye. Um, so yeah, um, absolutely incredible. Uh, really, really, really enjoyed that. Um, yeah, that was awesome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think just like really sort of feel encompasses. Pumped. Yeah, yeah. If you feel, feel pumped. Amped. Yeah, you should, because I think that really sort of encompasses everything that we spoke about on Red Planet before. Like, you know, when um, he was talking about, like, um, people just sort of coming together under, like, crushing material conditions. And then, like, also, like, the fact that, you know, um, there was other stuff that he said, and I've forgotten what it is, but you'll know what I mean. You know what I'm on about, right? My favorite part is just, like, the image of them, like, sneaking in and just not leaving. <laughs> or like they just went in and then you know like you imagine them like hiding in the cupboard or whatever it's kind of like home alone like, stuff off. too yeah yeah like, absolutely. Has this, like funny like, like it's like, like a, camping I, I, out like, at work it's it's, <laughs> it's it's awesome that they're like having it sounds like they're they're making light of the having whole situation yeah, which yeah, is yeah, like yeah. really really cool they like, not, no need to be like extra depressed about everything when you can yeah, try yeah. to actually make some fun out of it you actually yeah, like, like hit um, the nail yeah. on the head because they did say Paper. that they were gonna plant home alone style traps in john owens they didn't <laughs> they didn't do this it was a joke yeah um yeah I love awesome. the, um, the paper planes as well, sitting on the oh. roof, throwing them down on the security. <laughs> so good, honestly. Yeah, so no. good. Yeah, um, great vibes. So that is us for another week, listeners, audience, chatters. Uh, but before we do go, I think it is always pertinent to mention uh, the Red Planet Patreon. Uh, if you mm-hmm. enjoyed today's show, know that it is um, pretty much only really possible uh, for us to be as based as we are right now with our wonderful producer, Conrad. Uh, help us feed him. He's such a hungry boy. Uh, and also help us feed uh, potentially another mouth uh, with Red Planet as we are looking to hire an editor. So um, Mm. the goal function is unfortunately going to be gone 
uh, on Patreon for some reason. That's that's an email I had recently. So this is going to be gone. But we oh, are right. still looking to hit this goal, which is one thousand one hundred US dollars a month, or one thousand yeah. UK pounds, or I think it's one thousand three hundred New Zealand dollars. Tim, I'm not sure. Um, no, one thousand seven hundred and seventy-three dollars and seventy-seven cents in New yeah. Zealand dollars. There you go. Uh, yeah, that's we'll... our next goal. Yeah. Yeah, we're looking to, to hire an editor so we can do all sorts of, like chat, imagine, imagine if alongside this episode, I was able to go down to the rent strikers while they were doing an occupation and film all the stuff, all the people and do interviews and have it all. Imagine that. Imagine if Tim yeah. could have gone down and been filmed with Posey Parker doing whatever he was doing this weekend. <laughs> Imagine if Kira manages yeah. to get out on like, I don't know, some kind of like cool uh, animal rebellion style thing and like, you know, gets to interview some activists and shit like that. How awesome would that be alongside what we're doing here well we can unlock all that if you get us to the next goal um we are basically looking to um uh yeah gets gets that goal and you can you could you could become a patron there's loads of different cool uh, re rewards that you get for being a patron one of which uh, is in sprite mode and if you want to get started with your support for red planet you can pay two dollars a month uh it's 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 two dollars us uh and two pounds uk pounds and two dollars fifty or three dollars tim uh, so four dollars uh, New Zealand for the first for Sprite month. Yeah. There you go. So you can Sprite get month. started with your support for Red Planet by becoming a Sprite. And benefits include the sacred and forbidden knowledge that you're helping the Red Planet team, early access to VODs, and access to the Red Planet Discord. Imagine that. But what's the next mode, Tim? Uh, so the next one is Goblin mode, which is uh, American ten dollars a month. Uh, New Zealand nineteen dollars a month and about nine nine fifty pounds. You got um, it. Yeah, cool. Great British <laughs> pounds sterling or whatever. You, you know, colonial colonial pounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, everyone loves a goblin. We all get a little goblin mode from time to time. Complete your gobology by going goblin mode with everything from the sprite mode. Uh, cool, a pack of cool red planet stickers for you to stick in legal places and only in places like that, and then access to exclusive red planet Discord hangouts. Um, so yeah, so the hangouts once again, uh, like sprite mode will get you into the Discord, but hangouts, uh, a thing for just like the next all the tiers up where we just have like a documentary or a movie screening and we hang out, we talk about it, and we. You know, and it's it's something kind of lefty or like, you know, something um, you might not have heard or seen or something like that. Something a little bit more interesting. Definitely cool to hang out and, um, and talk about. But what's the um, the next one up, Kira? What's uh, beast mode? Holy shit. It's beast mode. <laughs> $20 a month or... Uh, I'm struggling. Oh, no. It's <laughs> 38 like... New Zealand. Thirty oh, New Zealand or thanks, thanks Tim. Uh, Why is always one of you struggling with why, this? Why, why don't I have the Patreon? It's probably like eighteen, nineteen pounds, right? I, oh, I, I, I spelled Patreon wrong. I wrote Patron. Uh, oh, you closed I just down the window the already. Uh... I can just link. Oh, I don't have it. Oh, hold up, it's nearly here. Um, oh, it's nineteen pound. Thank you, on Starfire. Thank you. There you go. It's nineteen pound. Okay. That's what it is. Well, if you weren't, if you're just yeah, beast mode, beast mode. 
20 bucks a month or all the other things you just heard. Holy shit. Are you actually going to go beast mode? Well, then we can offer you all the stuff from the lower tiers and pin badges. Yes, pin badges. Wear your excellent new Red Planet pin badge literally everywhere. It's completely cool and good to do. But if you wanted to go even harder, if you wanted to even go even, even more base, say you were say you're a sicko, what could you do? Oh, well, oh, yeah. oh, if you want to do oh, it, Tim, oh, you yeah. can do it. All right, yeah. Uh, well, you could go sicko mode, which is uh, 189 New Zealand dollars a month, um, 100 American, and I'm guessing 90, 98, 90 pounds. It's 94, 94 pounds. Um, cool. And uh, yeah, if you spot us this much, we can only really reasonably offer you all of the stuff from the lower tiers plus a very special thank you message at the end of the stream so uh which would look like this um thank you to our sickos goblin games nz and jbp for their sicko mode patronage uh and keeping keeping the lights on at uh red planet hq <laughs> keeping thank us, you so us much um, it means the world yeah yeah yeah, yeah. It, it really does um so yeah that's uh that's the patreon that's what we're doing how about how about before we wrap these things up uh my good friend kira why don't you tell the nice folks at home where they can find you okay folks at home you're gonna want to go to my link tree uh my link tree is kira chats you find all my links there including my not safe for work links that I cannot specify any further because of Twitch's terms of service. Um, check it out. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter. I mean, all this is on my link tree at Kira Chats, but twitter.com slash Kira Chats, twitch.com slash Kira Chats, or twitch.tv, excuse me, slash Kira Chats. Oh my God. Um, and uh, join my Discord. We're, oh, I'm always there. We're always hanging out. We're always having movie nights and stuff like that. Discord.gg slash Kira Chats. And I wanted to make an announcement uh, this Thursday, the 30th, um, one of my uh, friends, um, she's a black queer creator and artist, uh, Soul Bunny. She's actually dealing with an eviction right now because of her university. So we are going to be raising money for her on my channel this the oh, 30th. Shit. So, um, so this is really, I think it's a nice very smooth segue from what we just talked about if anything Hell we yeah. talked about extra like affected you, yeah. right, extra homework uh, make sure you at the very least tune into my stream this thursday twitch.tv slash kira chats uh, i know a lot of us most of us all of us are strapped for cash understandable but if you can't donate honestly tuning in and just giving us a view maybe telling telling your other people like in your discord server wherever you are um, you know, just, just being cool. It helps. It shows like a lot of solidarity and it also is just, it just helps to increase engagement for the show and just get more people to tune in. So be there the 30th on my channel. Got it. Or All be right. square. Or be square. If you're uh, speaking of squares, who's not a square? Well, my friend mule. <laughs> Where can I find my friend Mule, who's not a square? You're right. I am not a square. I'm actually really cool. And I'm getting more and more cool with how many times I'm saying that I'm a cool guy. 
Um, so you can find me on link true.ee DJ Mule, DJ M U E L. Um, yeah, all my links are there. I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram, I'm on TikTok, I'm on YouTube. I got my own Patreon, um, and I am doing a cool video. I've been deep in the editing hole this week, and I'm going to be even deeper in that editing hole uh, this coming week as well, just trying to desperately finish uh, my video that I've been working on for fucking six months, apparently. Um, so yeah, that is something that's going on. So please consider supporting me if you are on Patreon. If you don't, if that's not your bag, you can go to my Twitch streams where I basically like talk politics, uh, react to lefty videos, and also like gardening shit. I normally do gardening videos now. I like listen, watching a lot of permaculture stuff. It's just really cool, like growing your own food and eating it. I can't do that because I don't have a garden, but like one day I might. Um, so maybe I'll do that. That that's. That's the end of it. Tim, what about you? <laughs> well, <laughs> um, you can find me uh, here on Twitch or over on YouTube at Congress of Dread. Um, or you can jump all the way over to the wastelands of Twitter and find me as Dread Conquest there, um, which is where I'm probably most active uh, these days. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Pretty easy to find me. However, our um our missing Power Ranger that isn't here, Sophie from Sweet Mars. Wonderful Sophie. Where is she? She can be found under Sophie from Mars pretty much everywhere. If you search Sophie from Mars, there's no other so- Sophie's from Mars. She's the only one. The yeah, the soul Sophie from Mars. So that um patreon.com sophie from mars where you can help support her to uh create awesome videos and stuff um or you can go or linktree sophie from mars everything's there or um yeah twitter twitch and youtube sophie from mars but the um patreon is the important one uh support those videos and support our good girl self um yeah that's that's all of us that is all of the that's all of the the power rangers (laughs) that's the show that's the show we did it that's the show thanks for hanging out everyone um yeah make sure you check out any local tenant unions in your area and remember to come hang out with kira on the 30th a couple days from now and point right. your webcam right now to it. Point at the webcam. Last point homework, right extra homework. We're all touching fingers we'll see you now. next week. See you next <laughs> week. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Red Planet. If you enjoyed the show, leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell all your comrades about it. You can find where to watch us live every Sunday at redplanetshow.com. Follow the show on Twitter and TikTok at red underscore planet underscore TV. And there's even more at our Patreon, patreon.com slash red underscore planet. Our music is by Jasper Byrne. Red Planet is produced by Conrad Zimmerman in association with Mercenary Creative. See you next week.